0: Ladies and gentlemen, may I present For your intellectual and philosophical pleasure Running
1: fast on Raw Dog hits yes. Channel 99 I was feeling pretty good For la 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 Taking my time on the la 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 Snow falling down in the la 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 Everybody singing like la 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 Taking all the halls with the la 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 la. I like to drink a little beer at the end of another day, and go walking in the town, feel like a million miles away. And now the snow is a asleep, like a sand above the beach. Hiding in the street And the people in the light All the children in the light
2: Singing
1: holy, holy night I was feeling pretty good For la 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 Taking my time on the la 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 Snow falling down in the la 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 Body singing like la 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 la, decking all the halls with the la 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 la, making my way to the la 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 la. I like to sit out on the pier and look across the bay. Feel a million miles away, like I'm floating from the sky, like a storm of falling snow, Then I'm spinning through the trees, then I'm shining in the road, all the people in the light, and all the children in the light.
0: That is Sleeves, and we want, just want to tell everybody, Happy Christmas today. From your friends at the Ron and Fez Show, Ron Bennington, Fez Watley, Chris Stanley, and, of course, Shelby Lynn. Uh, today, we're going to play some great best-of stuff for you. Uh, it's Christmas with Darlene Love, who does the Letterman Show every year, Paul Anka, Annie Lennox, and to start this off, really good friends of ours, Mitch Glazer and Kelly Lynch. Kelly Lynch, of course, is a beautiful blonde movie star, who, it's tough for us even to, you know, lock eyes when she's in here, yet for some reason she acts totally cool, which I can barely even comprehend, Uh, and her husband... The probably coolest man on the planet, Mitch Glazer, who I give full credit to opening up um, everything with Cuba. Uh, we'll be playing all that, but this is, of course, Christmas with the Ron Fe show. Love it. And uh, we recorded this for you. <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> Let me just, I'm trying not to laugh, but just saying, love it. I don't know. <laughs>
3: This is seriously the best night ever.
0: Well, it's Christmas Day noon,
3: (laughs) or is it? Yeah. Um, I think it's a week ago. I know you do, Chris.
0: (laughs) Chris has had a lot to drink.
4: He doesn't know what day it
3: is. Hey, you shut your
4: mouth, all right? Uh, Chris, it's Christmas. Is it? Yeah. Yes, literally. <laughs> this ain't
3: Christmas to me. This is December seventeenth. All right, and hold that, on. Well, Punk's giving me shit. All right, easy.
0: But today that we're playing this, it's Christmas, and I wanted to make. I wanted
3: it to be a good Christmas <laughs> oh, for people. Live the tape.
0: <laughs> yes, live the tape. So we're going to play. I was really trying to, you know, start with our old buddy Sleeves, have all these great guests, and make it really Christmassy. But Chris, you're drunk. Ba-la-la-la-la.
3: Yeah. That's how Fleaves. it
0: goes. Uh, head on over to the iBang and when the uh, movie that, uh, that Mitch Glazer wrote, which uh, along with Mr. Mike, Michael O'Donoghue, those two brilliant guys together, uh, and yeah, it's Scrooged.
5: They wrote Scrooged. the greatest Christmas movie of all time, the funniest, the best, Scrooged.
0: You know that's probably what we should have focused on today too, is the unmask with him. Although him talking about Scrooge... no, forget it. You get all the great stories in this too. Uh huh. I mean, we could play the unmask anytime, and it's great. <laughs> but to play Scrooged on Christmas, which by the way, go over to the iBang, vote on the uh, comedian of the year. One of the commenters. Will Win, Scrooge, Fez Watley, got all these great people to sign it, Bill Murray,
5: Mitch Glazer, who wrote the movie, Bobcat Goldthwaite, David Johansson, Karen Allen, Alfrey Woodard, and Joel Murray. That is a collectible. Actually, it makes the helmet look
0: like crazy time. Um, now, I don't want to give too much away. When we're recording this, it was the night of the big Christmas special. Yeah. And, Shelby, you were just uh, set downstairs to go back in to sneak four more beers for Chris. It looks
4: like instead you only brought two. What the fuck
3: is this problem? <laughs>
4: I'll calm down. I got two. B. Be- I went all the way downstairs for you. You've already had enough. Oh boy! I took the elevator down, and my pussy hurts.
0: All right, stop it. It's Christmas. But why did you only get two? Why wouldn't you load up with four?
4: He's had an, like how many? Ten, twenty? I I lost count at but, this but, point. But, but and I understand what you're saying. But you're not beer police. Who
3: the fuck is he to tell me how many I should have? Is he a fucking bartender,
4: <laughs> Chris? christmas again please <laughs> santa dropped the presents off and went up but now he heard yelling and he's like putting his ear santa to the top of the ass. chimney
3: i asked you to drag your skinny ass down there or give me some fucking beer and he brought you back two beers you're not happy with that what am i supposed to do with that fucking jerk off in it <laughs> no and <That's laughs> him like a drunk gentleman <laughs> oh i'm sorry i'm not shelby i don't drink half a beer and get fucking blasted drunk I gotta keep this buzz going. There's a bunch more best songs we gotta record.
4: You don't know what you're saying. No, I know exactly (laughs) what
3: I'm saying. I fucking timed (laughs) all this shit out. I know what I'm doing.
0: Uh, Up on the bank today, not only is it the, the, of course, comedians, but uh, comedians pick who will break out in 2015 is up today. I think we've got a ton of comics that pick the comedians who they claim it's going to be their year. In 2015. Uh, it's epic. I'm serious. This is one of my favorite things that we've ever done. We've been playing um, some of them as we go through uh, the end of the year. But all of them are together up on the iBang. Starting today is like a little Christmas present for the people who care.
4: Shelby, who's going to break out in 2015? person who's going to break out, Rory. Scoville's gonna break out even bigger than he already is. I already think of him as broken up. I think he's got a special coming out early 2015 that could really put him over the top. I'm watching
0: his stupid grounded show and he makes me laugh my ass off. He's funny as hell. I see Fez Watley breaking out, but of the nut hut.
5: <laughs> <laughs> my skin.
0: <laughs> yeah, I see him breaking out. Maybe we could do something <laughs> about that fucking half-century acne that he's rocking. <laughs> Um, You know, I just looked up and saw pictures of Carter on TV, and I'm like, oh, God, he died. But uh, he's just talking about the Cuban
5: thing that we're doing
0: right now. Yeah, I forgot you here on Christmas. We're still in the past. This is time travel
3: is what you're hearing. This is the Christmas party night.
0: All right, Chris, uh you only got two more beers, but by the way, you still have the three that you hadn't, you know, that you had stocked in various socks and Don't stuff. Don't touch my
3: beer, Shelby. But
0: Shelby will be giving you those beers in small Dixie cups <laughs> so he can monitor what you're drinking.
3: Oh, thanks, nurse. Why would why would you
4: think that you could decide how many beers you would bring him back? Look, we got to get through this. He was gonna pass out, put his head through the computer Passed monitor out, pretty really? soon.
3: Pass out drunk? That ain't gonna fucking happen. All right. He doesn't okay. pass out drunk. It gets better as it fucking gets the more alcohol in it. Okay. For me, I'm not it. It's a, I'm a me. like
0: right, Chris is ruining Christmas. I'm not lying about this. Is this is
3: Christmas Day. This is the best Christmas anyone's ever had. He not just really. tried to take us. You're a... just drunk.
0: He just Nothing tried... specials <laughs> happened.
3: I'll tell you what special happened. I got fucking short change on some couple beers.
0: That's true. Well, I guess what you got for Christmas is less bullshit uh comedy club owners talking about and Bookers picked the greatest stand up moments of twenty fourteen uh the timeline Fez has come up with all the different things that have happened in uh, comedy this year, comedy of the year, best comedy books, stand-up specials, top ten viral videos of the year, best of late night. It's all up on the iBank, and you'll hear the entire special together on the 31st of December, replayed on the 1st. Um, Chris, he's also playing with your lighter. <laughs> hand <laughs> off that lighter. It's You're this like a is over. It's- You're like a child when you think a lighter is cool.
3: Since so it's over, I'm smoking a cigarette. Here's the weird
0: thing. For me, Shelby's more likable when he's in this room. Maybe it's because I don't see him when he's over there uh-huh. that he seems like a little bit annoying. But when he's in here, likeable.
3: What about me? Am I likable in this room? You're likable in every room. Thank you.
0: <laughs> I wish Thank you God. had all the beers in the world. <laughs> right now I'd tell him anything that he wants to hear. Anything. Seriously. I'll be like, yeah, you could be president. I know. Now let go of my jacket, because I want to get
3: going. Let's get this fucking campaign together.
0: Tonight, at 5 o'clock, uh, en masse with the Fairley Brothers. Uh, really one of the best en masse of 2014. Um, it, is, uh, it is Christmas. And I think it's a special day even for an atheist like yourself, Fess.
5: Right, Fez? Yes, it's a very special day It's Christmas, it's family, it's friends And, um, yeah, it's a very wonderful day You are a funny fucking guy
4: You know that? You know why?
0: Why? You always go for the joke
4: (laughs) I go to, I'm not an atheist I go to church every single (laughs) day Don't you fucking lie to us Seriously,
0: I'm glad that you go to church, Shelby Right up front Yeah Well, you gotta be up front so Jesus can see you Yep He doesn't know who's in the back.
3: We were told that a long time ago. He's got terrible eyesight, Jesus.
0: (laughs) All right. He's
3: It's the one thing that's bad.
0: Can I tell you something? I'm not going to blaspheme on Christmas. I will not do that.
3: That's JCB day. I
0: was visited by three ghosts last night.
3: How? (laughs) Well
0: (laughs) I'm setting up Scrooge You drunk (laughs) Can't can't follow the premise bastard Uh, Our good friends Mitch Glazer And Kelly Lynch uh, The most attractive people in Hollywood And uh, They dropped in with us last year Just to talk about the movie Scrooge You couldn't find any Sweeter, nicer folks And they are our Christmas miracle this year. It's Fez's favorite holiday movie. And you, I can remember looking over you as we were doing this and seeing how giddy you were last year. It's Scrooged with Kelly Lynch and Mitch Glazer. years Isn't that crazy? since this movie came out. Mitch Glazer's here today. You're looking good too, dude. Thank you very much. What's with the uh, with the beard, though? As I said, I'm not going to
6: shave till Magic City's back on the air. It's oh. <laughs>
0: And, I, and, me and I, both i 'm going to go in the same direction it 's a look
6: Me Ow. too I uh, hope
0: Kelly Lynch is here as well. Good to see you yeah, you, too. you guys came i guess into New York for a little Christmas feeling just in time for some incredibly warm weather, yeah. out of nowhere no we, yeah. we
6: actually got in Friday night and then we had the snow on Saturday, which uh-huh. was, which was cinematic and and uh, um, and actually going back to 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 the writing of of, uh, of Scrooge twenty five years ago twenty six years ago. We were writing in O'Donoghue, Michael O'Donoghue, my writing partner's apartment on 16th Street, uh, off of 5th, this time of year. So it, when you're writing a Christmas movie during the winter. Right. It's cozy and the fireplace is going. By the time we were still writing it in like July and August, we just, we loathed each other. We hated Christmas. <laughs> the fucking holiday. I would to kill killed somebody. <laughs> but at that, at this moment now, I mean, the week before, uh, Christmas was always our favorite. And, and you know, Michael and mine and also Kelly's. But, uh, yeah, kind of, uh, I mean, at the very end of of writing it, we got to this wall where we had to decide we had to figure out what our our Frank Cross could say what Bill Murray could say at the end that was honest for us I mean right. being two cynical s n l writers or whatever, and you know not the most rom- you know romantic kind of hallmark guys uh, and it came down to for one night, the night Christmas Eve, everybody in New York is nice to each other right, and so that became the miracle, so that was the one thing we could actually live with so Kelly and I come back occasionally to get a hit of uh, just get
0: a little piece yeah, of that yeah. yeah of that moment I always liked that to me that always that that scene was always the moment of clarity the you've already bottomed out and now you're like almost like a born again it's real we were talking about this movie being so funny and shown over and over which is a great thing about being a christmas film it's not going to go away Ever, but it also, I'm like, man, when you watch that with kids, there's about four scenes in that that are fucking terrifying. You know what I mean? There's four scenes at least, where you're like, yeah. holy shit.
6: When, 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 uh, when uh, Billy, when, uh, when the Ghost of Christmas Future opens his coat and, yes. you see it and you see the which is pure O'Donohue, it was based yeah. on some Spanish torture device that he wanted for his house, apparently. But, but uh, and he said he'd seen the trap souls, and, and uh, that was Michael's gift. And uh, and well, that I, was effective. They built that well.
7: Well, I would say your sampling, um stapling antlers on the mice is also terrifying. Oh it's yeah, like yeah, cute little mice.
6: Yeah, but it, it was it was. We watched it with our with our daughter, and until she, I mean, like at three or four, I just wanted to like kind of like force feed her my career. And so she was you know, <laughs> kind of like oh, you love mondo video. It's incredible. You know, like, but, uh, uh, <laughs> and then I could walking. just see she had that kind of the eyes went wide, and it was going to be years in therapy. So we waited, you know, till she was older to absorb it yeah because there are some scary things in well
0: it. we always do i mean i think because we all love that film we all put it to our kids a little too soon yeah we're like this is so fun kid this is so funny <laughs> and then all of a sudden they're leaping up because he's screaming don't let me burn don't let me burn we're like whoa <laughs> <yeah>. Merry Christmas! <laughs> yeah that is a little i guess we all die someday kids i don't know but... and that was michael's
6: michael O'Donnell who played the 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 priest Chose the part for himself. So as yeah. as a casket's going into the incinerator, you know, to be cremated, it's Michael who's reading the Lord's Prayer or whatever he's reading there at that point. And and uh, and for me, because because Dick Donner insisted the director that we be in the movie, so he wrote a scene for me to be in that was supposed to be a Christmas party, as Christmas, right. uh, you know, present day Christmas, Carol Kane and the toaster and all that. And because of budget or or whatever, it ended up being like three people on a couch. So yeah. so I actually had to be in the scene and and. The, the look of complete horror. I mean, literally, the movie comes out. It's my first movie ever made as a writer. My mother, who, you know, apparently, I, I assume, adored me, uh, said, called in and said, don't ever do that again. Don't ever go in front of the cameras again. It was terrible. It was just embarrassing. well. You
0: you had the look of is this going well? You know right. what I mean? Like that's the look that's fine if you're standing behind the
7: camera. I thought it was the look of how's my hair?
0: <laughs> I don't know. It was a little hair thing. Do but... you do you look back and think that you look just like a baby in that now though? It just I look like I like I
6: just. Snuck over the border. I don't. Everyone else looks kind of festive and Christmassy, and then there's then there's the stranger on the end. But but uh, I'm glad it's documented. Just that
5: you know.
0: do, Do you know that Mitch is on the couch? In the with the
5: Bill's brother, I didn't realize you were there with the Murray brothers. Yeah. I had no idea that was Mitch.
6: Yeah, yep. go, go go back and look, and then call me. The SS Minnow. <laughs> SS Minnow. <laughs> exactly.
5: What Should've was got, the boat got, that took them to Gilligan's which, Island? Which is also <laughs>
0: just so great, just to see, like here's his brother who doesn't have. Any of the successes, just having a great time, just chilling with his friends. You know, I mean, there's really so much. I mean, of course, you take it from the Dickens thing, Mm -hmm. and when you see that when you're a kid, you know that's good, but it's just so heavy and old, and you can't get it. But when you, it really does work as a morality tale. It
6: was it was a fantastic gift. Obviously, the structure is rock solid. I mean, you know, Dickens is the great the great plot you know master and and so the three ghosts and, and i mean the whole thing was so was such a a present to 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 adapt but we went michael and i went and watched all of them I and mean, we watched yeah. we watched the david lean version uh we asked billy what his favorite was which of course is mr magoo's christmas which is also a classic Carol. yeah, yeah. And, and so we watched that and uh and then we you know and then we both had worked for and with guys that that uh That we wanted to, uh, savage. So, you know, so the Frank Cross character became kind of a composite of, of, uh, you know, bosses we'd had, you know. Right. And, and, uh, and setting it in, in kind of a version of, uh, of NBC was easy. Mm -hmm. We've been up, up there, Michael particularly. Um, but yeah, anytime we were lost or, or kind of questioning it, Dickens had the answer. I mean, you know, you, you you knew it was going to end with that, with that great redemption and, and, uh, all we had to do was kind of, Bring ourselves to it, you know. Fill in the blanks, and and uh, and then you know, know that Billy was going to do what we written times ten.
7: And yeah. Mary, Mary Lou Retton, Mary Lou Retton's
0: jumping back in, and in this thing—it's <laughs> going to be great. I mean, you know. but,
6: but and and, and when, you know, the casting got completely maniacal. And and uh, I mean, at one point, <laughs> I, I, when I when I emailed you guys, Billy and I still talk about it. Buddy Hackett was was and, you know, <laughs> God rest was was uh, up in the top of the uh, set. And they, they just left him up there for, you know, like, a big, <laughs> we'd break for lunch and, and buddy, buddy be up there. And there was a moment midway through, uh, the second day where he just lost it and, and went full tur- Tourette's. I mean, the, 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 the stuff that was coming out of his mouth. You know, like the, the, the most blue, you know, Catskills horrific comedy. I remember Murray, all of a sudden, they were like little kids because it was a, you know, the Christmas set and all that. All of a sudden Billy went, can you hear what he's saying? Cause, Cause, he was just spewing, you know, and, and we had, we had Robert Mitchum, I think in his last, you know, role. I think it's the last mm-hmm. thing he's ever
0: done. Yeah. And, and at
6: one point, uh, he, he was sitting there and, and had said to Donner that he wanted a piece of business to do while he was having the, the lunch with, uh, with, um, uh, the, I forget his name the guy that worked that, that, was, that was Billy's nemesis in the movie um, really good
5: actor but uh, Bryce had, Cummings yes Bryce Bri- Cummings, Bryce
6: Cummings thank God bless well, you and, and, and so Robert Mitchum turns to me and Michael this is our first movie ever made and goes uh, boys uh, g- give me a piece of business and <laughs> Michael looked at me and went business? Like, what, what is it? <laughs> and so Michael said I had a boss who used to clean his silverware when, when, before he'd eat a meal and, and Mitchum went Perfect, and and took it, and you know, so we had him, we had John Forsythe. I mean, it was it was a collection. Oh, it
0: was the unbelievable people in it. But you know, Mitchum, who everybody remembers as one of the great dramatic actors of all time, is hysterical when he's doing that thing of having the string and just some quick. I mean, it's Fallout funny shit.
6: He loved it too. He he had a
0: great time with
6: it. Had a great time, and and uh, you know, everyone was aware when he was on set. But yeah, you know. As all those great actors are, and were collaborative and, and you know he and Billy did stuff together and and, uh, and and just the the presence and face was so great
0: well, you know you had to bring somebody in that could intimidate uh, Bill Murray, yes. you know what I mean that was the beauty of it. If you go back and watch that you 're just seeing Bill Murray just being this vicious prick, and then he 's in complete terror. Of a guy who's being somewhat quiet, so you're like, who could that dude be? Yeah, you know.
6: And 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 Mitchum had it in spades. I mean, you know, when we literally and he walked up next to Bill, and we, you know, we were all thrilled. And you know, Forsyth was 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 the best. Uh, the whole the, the the Majors. Yeah, when we had we you know <laughs> we had cast another action actor. I mean, in our head, Michael and I were writing it. It was it was it was another guy, and uh, didn't work out. And then. And then like right before we were shooting, Bill said Bill called us both. We were both in LA, me and Michael, and said, we have to go down to a spa, to the, the Golden Door in Tacate, Mexico. It was like a hundred Thompson move. And and, uh, and we went, Okay, great. I mean he said, I gotta get in shape for this, you know, and I've been away. And so he picks us up, we drive down, and it's basically a hundred Beverly Hills housewives and me and Michael and Bill Murray. And Lee majors, I mean literally clearly drying out or whatever, which is part of what we were there for but but uh so so Lee sees us, and there's like the fact that it's Bill Murray, but also just men, quite frankly, you know, somebody he could talk to, and he comes over at one point, we're just settling in, we've been there like an hour, and he comes over and he says uh." tequila tasting boys over we got we're going over the wall and, and uh and, and bill goes okay let's, let's let's go and we go to the te- 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 tequila tasting which was basically just getting drunk on, on tequila as far as i could tell and and uh and then someone during the middle of the night someone came over to bill and started asking for autographs and and billy got up and i'll never forget it because it one of the coolest moments of my life um i went out following bill and lee major said to me mitch i got your back I went. Oh my God! This is like so cool. We're in Mexico, and Lee Majors has my back. is amazing. And so we—that's where we got to like bond with Lee. And and um, and then at the end of that trip, uh, we were leaving, and we hadn't really gotten pure at all. We hadn't. We had. You know, Michael mm-hmm. had just been stoned and lying in a cot for you a couple days. Got the opposite of, of pure. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't good. And and uh, they all resented us really, all the the Beverly Hills women. And and um, as we're leaving, this woman comes up to Bill and says. Uh, I'd like an autograph f- from my son. And he says, great, but then I'm going to throw you in the pool. And and I looked at her and I went, he really will throw you in the pool. This is not just kind of metaphoric. It's, you're going into the water. if, if he's... She said, oh, ha, ha! great, great, great. Signs it, and uh, Bill grabs her. And, and she drops into like a civil rights drop. I mean, she's just like, you know, we have to drag her by her coat. And he did. He dragged her by a fur coat, <laughs> threw her into the pool screaming, and then we made our escape from Tecate.
3: The
0: the always the weirdest things about Bill Murray is in real life he's like a Bill Murray character. I mean, he's just taken who he is, put it on screen and that's his life. He's a, you know, the most authentic for lack
6: of a better word. I mean, yeah, he is who he is. And he's a he's a spectacular friend, incredibly bright, well-read uh um but but unpredictable
7: and in, right and and, in the moment completely yeah. in the moment and and,
6: and literally you know though i can only imagine i haven't been around him lately but you know the the avalanche of those kind of requests you know sign this do this or whatever right and he does try to make it uh, a personal exchange in that case it was you know i will but you're gonna go swimming and um
0: his brother was telling me one time though that he can't spend too much time at any one place you know if he's in a restaurant. He knows he has X amount of time before the word gets out, and he's got to get moving again.
7: Yeah, last year at the Golden Gloves, we were we were hanging out with him, and uh, you, you know, and he wanted to dance, which is what Bill always wants to do. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why he's crashing college parties because there's usually some good music somewhere, and there's someone who can dance, you know, or wants yeah. to dance. So we we just got the DJ to play the kind of music that we wanted to dance to. A couple of us, and within literally. 10 seconds there were 100 people dancing and it was this great right. party and then we had yeah we had to make our slip and then we kept trying to make it recreate it. and there you know at the golden globes there are like 25 parties all around the same you know uh the venue but yeah he just he just does that but then he makes a slip he, and he has to right yeah, he has to
6: yeah back then scrooge he was he was doing it was the first movie back after Few years, three or four years in, in France, he'd, he'd done Ghostbusters and Razor's Edge, and then left the country, and and because uh, things just got too huge, and and um and this was his not a comeback, but his welcome back to, right. to 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 movies, you know, big Hollywood comedy, um, and it was and he he just was in great spirits, and and uh, you know. A joy because I mean a lot of that, a lot of it was written, but then a lot of it was was him.
0: Whose idea was it to do it this way at first? Did, did you get a call? You guys get a call from the studio or no? We got a call from a producer friend of mine, actually, a guy named Art Linson, who who uh, produced
6: a lot of different material and you know, a lot of,
0: What know, was uh, the book that he wrote too? It was like a pound of flesh. Exactly. Just, yeah.
6: Yeah, and that was that was a lot of that had to do with some of it had to do with us, Michael and I, writing um, "Arrive Alive," which was right. which was the first unproduced, actually two weeks of shooting and then shut down production the only time i've ever been involved in that but um so it was i was like the titanic of comedies and and uh and uh and this was the second one for you know for us and so uh art had liked Arrival, alive bless his heart and you know christmas carol is public domain so it's a producer's dream and, mm-hmm. and he said you know what do you think about updating it and and uh and michael said exactly what you said which was you know glazer if we nail this it'll play forever yeah and um you know I went oh god I guess you're right I mean I never thought of it being a Christmas classic but it was so it was Art who said come do a remake and then we took it from there I made it TV guy and, and all the stuff that we knew
0: well you're writing with Michael Donoghue and you met, met him when you were a kid yeah. but I noticed that your name comes first
6: it was, it, in it, the credits and, by the way completely uh, you know generous on his part in a way but but is alphabetical and 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 it was just you know glazer o 'Donohue and and he never and and everything we wrote when we wrote several things unproduced but uh it was always in that order just because you know michael was uh you know honorable that way and, and felt that you know we we were doing equal work and and also the things that we did together uh that we wrote together are different from things we did it 's a third thing which is mm-hmm. a, as a true a true kind of uh collaboration should be so it, it existed as the two of us as opposed to one or the other and yeah, I I had met Michael. Um, I don't know if I told you the last time, but when when, when I was doing Belushi for uh, the article for Crawdaddy, uh, he said I said, "Is there anybody you want me to talk to?" He said, "Go go, meet Mr. Mike, go, Mike, Michael O'Donoghue. He's the head writer on the show." And I walked down the hallway at SNL, and and he's in this room in the dark with like light coming through the shades. Um, I think I might have mentioned it with with a wall covered with nude amputees and
7: uh, <laughs> as one does and as and
6: and so i sit down in the other chair he's smoking one of those brown sherman cigarettes and his gla- sunglasses are on and uh i'm thinking okay this is the guy john wants me to talk to and
0: in that room and we became best friends and and uh you know that article uh which this yep, is the it. magazine this was actually supposedly to be delivered when you did the Unmasked. But this uh, magazine that you wrote about Belushi, it's so damn amazing. And I I was reading this over. The opening line, I'm going to have you read just your opening line, because it's not only the first thing written about Michael and John Belushi, but just such a life changer for you. (laughs) And the opening line is spectacular.
6: And of So Him. Okay, this is the opening line of the first cover story John Belushi ever did, uh, June 1977. Michael O'Donoghue looks like a chemist in a Marseille heroin lab who sells children on the side. <laughs> he, he is main muse and writer on the phenomenally successful NBC Saturday Night Live staff. O'Donoghue's hair usually hangs damp across his head. He wears black ballet shoes, uh, which give him a dainty, light, lethal stride. Michael would be would be very effective with piano wire on a dark, foggy street. Thin, delicate fingers are hidden most of the time, but he smiles often—a charming cobra smile. And then it goes on. His eyes, assuming they exist, are always covered by deep sea green sunglasses. When he loses his water moccasin smile, the shades stay blank and dark. He is like that—functional and sinister. Michael is an orchid, rare, decadent, and sickly. Pictures of beautiful nude amputees are tacked carefully to his wall. Uh, fondled stumps and secret smiles. What is John Belushi like? He asked himself. The glasses darken. Well, John can be a real monster sometimes. And that's the first paragraph. It's just
0: so amazing. Here's what I love about that. You know, because we, you know, talk about participatory, you know, journalism that. Your life changes as you're writing this. I love the fact that here's this kid walking into this situation, but you never walk out. No. You know, what I mean? <laughs> you that this becomes your life. So it's almost like right. you know, uh, you, you read in a thing where a guy looks up and he sees a beautiful woman, and you know the way he feels. This is literally but you meeting your two best friends
6: completely. And and you're right, it was a door I walked through and never never could find a, th- the way out again. But I mean, it was it was absolutely and then deeper in. And I knew it, as you, as you do sometimes. I knew it as I was writing it. I remember uh, the girlfriend I was living with. I was saying, you know, I'd done uh, George Harrison before at that point, and Bjorn Borg, and you know, different people, Marty Ballin. Mm-hmm. and uh, but this one I knew because I'd spent the six months doing the research and with them that they'd be reading it. I mean, these guys that that I admired so much would be reading the, in, and literally, I walked in. After the, the magazines had come out, and I heard Michael reading that paragraph, the one I just read, to Gilda and Lorraine and Jane Curtin. He was reading it himself, his own description of himself. And I remember walking in the hall going, okay, well, this worked. And then, you know, <laughs> quickly, Michael's in heaven. Well,
0: no one had really written about these guys. And when you would go back and watch it, because everything was Chevy, you know, yeah. but the... Uh, even to go back, the most dangerous man on TV, Samuel uh, John Belushi. That the most dangerous has been, is now part of our lexicon. Has been lifted so many times.
6: I was trying to be accurate with it. I mean, you know, I didn't usually do the the the, the cover lines, but they asked me to, and that was the sense I got from him. Was was. At that moment, on television, John was the most unpredictable and, and most dangerous, I mean, by far, and in, and you know in life as well.
0: Uh, I saw uh, Emil Hirsch was in the other mm-hmm. day who's supposed to play him. I gave him your uh, email too. I said, "You've got to talk to Mitch because uh, you know, at the same, Josh Gad is going to play Kinnison. These guys are like they, they weren't really around when these guys were there. I'm hoping they can grab that."
6: It's tough. And, 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 uh, when Bernie Brillstein was still alive, Bernie was, was John's close friend and manager, you know, and my manager. I mean, literally, um, John insisted he take me on at a time when I was, you know, I just barely working. We, I used to do my laundry at his house when we were there. But, uh, Bernie came to me and said they want to do Judy and, and this group are coming together to do this, uh, biopic. And I, I, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure they'll find a way into it. And, and Emil is really interesting casting. But for me, so much of, the story is his personality that it's going to be it's going to be you know a challenge and and um to put it in the right context and all that but really it, it was john i mean it's you know right and so it's you know i mean it's a tough but uh but he's such a good actor and 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 i guess we'll approach it that way the way dustin did lenny bruce or right you know find find his own his own voice in it um but for me, it was just too close. I mean, you know, I, I couldn't.
0: Oh, absolutely. But you know, even though I feel I love the Lenny Bruce movie, but people who know him are like, "Come on, that right. that movie wasn't there. He was ten times funnier that." You know, what I mean. So I don't know whether you could ever be okay with it. You know.
6: Yeah, and but you know, Danny's uh, Aykroyd signed on and and uh, to support Judy and and God knows, you know, those two, Judy and Danny. uh was as close to him as any people on earth and if they're endorsing it and 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 emil and and the rest of the company has you know them to to kind of draw from uh it you know it's kind of a safety net i mean mm-hmm. in a way they, they could find a way but but uh i haven't talked to bill about it to billy about um you know the movie uh but i'm curious i mean you know i don't know what year they're going to choose and and uh you know it's it's if they nail it it'll be spectacular i mm-hmm. mean you know and 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 i'm hoping but you're right for me personally watching it probably is going to be odd and and i already suggested johnny depp
0: play me in the movie but i'm, I'm not sure they're going to, going to go for that but. it was going to be a little bit older yeah. than uh he should have been but that's the that's the weird thing that yeah you would like the story to be told but can it even be told you know I mean you know at some point you're trying to describe something which is just essence, you know. what I mean, it's hard to understand. It isn't yelling. It isn't jumping around. It's something else.
6: No, and the energy of the guy, you know, the 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 life force. I mean, like yeah. I, I described him in that in that first article as a force of nature. You know, that I'm I'm lying in my bed, you know, whatever, trying to write with headphones on, and the door blows blows open, and literally the force of nature comes into the room, uh, you know, start touching all the stuff in your in your room, and like, get out of here, and it grabs you, and you're in a cab, and all of a sudden you're you know. Making Keith's hotel room, or something. Right. I mean, the guy was, as Danny called him, America's guest. I mean, you know, Ackroyd has some. Danny's story, which really captures him, is the, the great story of the two of them, first season, going over the border to Canada, visit Danny's parents, and Ackroyd, of course, has all the 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 uh, passports and stuff you need to get across the border. And the, the Mountie come in and check the car and stuff. And John's asleep in the back seat. And without him getting under the, out of the cover, they go, Mr. Belushi, welcome to Canada. And just like kind of like <laughs> blow him right through. And it, it was, you know, he was America's guest or the world's. But, but yeah, that kind of the, the, the kind of essence of the guy and the, and the, and the, and the spirit of him is going to be difficult. But as I said, you know, you, you know, Danny and Judy knew him so well. And, and, uh, I mean, and also, you know, the humor, of him, you know the, the 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 something like that that animal house moment where where he 's trying to cheer up uh, mm-hmm. uh flounder, I guess flounder yeah, yeah. and smashes the thing and then that that crashes of the the can that was the essence of you know Mitch, I mean, John would do things i mean he he did things you know that were just monstrous and 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 kind of in the spirit of his life, and then the apology was always so spectacular. I mean, you know, he, he, I was once dating a girl and apparently she was married and, and, uh, uh, and John in, in a <laughs> fit, a, a fit of, uh, honesty we saw this guy who was a musician and, and, uh, said, um, you know, you leave my friend Mitch Glazer alone and I'll kick the shit out of you. And the guy said, who's Mitch Glazer? And John went, he's fucking your wife. Uh, You know, which was not the best thing he could have done, quite frankly. And so I the girl calls me and says, your idiot friend just outed us and this is like a nightmare. I called John, I said, what were you? He said, well, I was embarrassed. He didn't know who you were. I said, he's not supposed to know who I am. This is not how it works. Well, you know, I'll take care of it or whatever. And so we were driving, I'm with the girl. We're driving on Sunset. Uh, you know in, in west uh, in kind of Santa Monica and as we're driving in her car I look over and John is standing on the side of the road waiting for us to pass I mean there's about a million cars that are going by there and he's he's standing there kind of forlorn and we pull over traffic's honking and he gets in the car and he's apologizing we go up to the house and he said what can I do this is like a Bill Murray thing he said what can I do to make it better and I said jump in the pool and he did i mean bless his heart he was fully clothed it was like eight o'clock at night and then i was like okay you know just let it go let it go
0: but you i, I guess you had to be somewhat forgiving if you wanted to be there you yeah know what i mean like you cannot take it too serious
6: I, no and i tend to but 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 which just amused him beyond belief and and uh you know just it, we our relationship was was kind of you know, best friend or good friend and, and, and big brother, little brother in a way. And, and, uh, yeah, he would torture me. And, and, um, but then, as I said, the, 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 uh, the friendship and the apologies were spectacular. I mean, um, he came, he came to my house in Miami Beach and visited my parents when I wasn't there. I mean, you know, he was just wanted to meet my mother and her voice <laughs> amused him. And, and, uh, no, he was, he was the best. We used to go to the, to the, um, to the Schwitz, the, the 10th Street baths and, uh, you know, yeah. East 10th Street. And, uh, the idea was, you know, you'd be up all night and, and then you'd go to the baths and kind of, you, they'd hit you with the leaves and all that. But the way John did it, he'd go, we'd be sitting there and then they'd bring, bring just a, a monstrous amounts of food and vodka and it would defeat the whole purpose of the thing. You know, we'd, the whole, <laughs> right. the, the whole thing would start again and be, you know.
7: Detox, retox, all in one. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah.
6: He's spectacular. And I'm, 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 I, I pray for, I hope for them that they, that they, that they get it because, uh, you know anything else anything less will be just horrible
0: well it's just it's hard you know uh when that awful wired book was written it's because the essence didn't show up at all Mm -hmm. you know you have the scenes that happen but they've and of course it made it feel like it was really dark as if there was assaults taking place but there's no place that you'd rather be right you as a young guy must have been just feeling like this is my life, uh, a Wizard of Oz time. It,
6: completely. I mean, it was. It, uh, you know, I don't regret a second of uh, of the time spent with him, and and um, yeah, it was it, it, the the for the most part. I mean, the part that at the time when it, uh, Judy asked me to, to sit with uh, with Bob Woodward to to interview for for Wired, I could tell by the questions. You know, the way he was, he was, you know, as a, as a journalist of my, in my own right, but I could tell what he was focused on and it was really just the drugs. And so I kept saying, yeah, but that wasn't the good part. Yeah. I mean, that was a small part or, or whatever. You know, we all fell in love with him for who he was and, 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 and the, and the heart of him. And after the interview and he kept saying, okay, great. But the last week you saw him of his life, he just kept going back to that thing. Um, this was before cell phones, I called Judy from the payphone. It was at 15th Avenue downtown. In the restaurant, then, and I said, "He's going to kill us." I mean, mm-hmm. it's, this is going to be. This is a guy who, who's, you know, never gotten in high his life, and, and 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 is looking through that prism of darkness. And and and, and you he know,
7: had already written the book. He really head, had. You know, I think he re- was look, looking for quotes to support his right. thesis on this was a dark guy. This is a dark time. A dark yeah. world. I mean, <clears throat> the things that Mitch or Mitch has mentioned in the book are things he doesn't, you know, that didn't really happen a lot some of the things you know certain ways of looking at certain parties or things are kind of
6: but it is it is it is context and also it is a uh, commonality of experience and and that's the one thing not not the one thing but that is a thing that that obviously akroyd danny and judy will bring to the movie is the joy of it i mean you yeah. know it you know, wasn't um you know if you focus on anyone's worst week of their life it's gonna be a it's gonna be a dark tale. Absolutely,
0: you know, and yeah, and that's what he did. Yeah, it's almost like you know, if you're writing a novel, and it ends up uh, a car crash, it's going to feel like doom is on this trip the whole time because you know it. But at the time, you could be having the greatest vacation ever but it ended that way it didn't end that way for everybody you know we were all around in the 70s everybody was getting high it wasn't just for rich people wasn't for famous people we were doing it in school and of course he he panicked at the thought of that when he wrote the book you
6: know and 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 didn't want to hear or couldn't acknowledge you know obviously the obvious kind of heart and magnetism and 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 sweetness of the guy just that there was no room for it in that and and you try to describe situations which is going to be part of the problem with the movie is is to try to you know give it give it dimension and give it have it be accurate you know but uh but no i mean traveling with john i mean i i told kelly i you know i'm not a great flyer and and uh he and i were once flying back from l.a to new york and he had this white it's in pictures actually. It's a white kind of a newsboy cap that he was really proud of and he just thought it was really cool and and uh, I had, you know, as always taken quaaludes to get on the plane and, and, <laughs> and as I was coming we were sitting next to each other and as I crossed over him I knocked over his glass of Coca-Cola on his hat and it was like a oh my god i mean this is like my favorite hat or whatever so i go to the bathroom i come back and i knock it over again on the way back getting back to my seat again and he's just he's just like at, at me, like oh my god get a net this is a, you know um you know the the you know those things that you have with friends just just right. you know not not involving celebrity or anything just kind of you know the way he saw the world and and uh we had yeah great times and and if anybody can get, can capture it, I mean the the group that they got they put together. It was just for me, and and I flirted with it, but I kept thinking of it through my own lens as my favorite year. Uh, sure, it, it'd be put, told through through my, my character story of of just witnessing the way that article was. Um, so that was the way I was trying to find find my way through it. Of of uh, you know, kind of stumbling in, as you say, stumbling through that door. And
0: uh, well, th- this is your life is to me. My favorite year, along with the Cameron Crowe movie, you know, Mm -hmm. because it's it's more of, you know, Cameron Crowe's that same age that took place. Which, by the way, Crowe did such a great job in that Mm -hmm. film of capturing that uh, thing of this is my my tribe, which reminds me of you. But my favorite year is the actual building. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. that was where it all was really taking place. All right, (laughs) uh, Fez, let's play along some of these. Um, give us the questions and see if we can come up with it. All right. I haven't heard any of these yet. Chris, have you heard? No, I have not. Uh, but, by the way, the weirdest thing about this, terrible this yeah, is it really is just, of a certain age group, it's their favorite Christmas thing. That no matter it, It's one of those shorthand ways of jumping in with people. So let's play some of this.
3: So you think you know... Scrooge,
1: you're like my just, just paid.
5: All
0: right, fuzzy, give us some of
5: these. All right, in Frank Cross's promo for IBC Scrooge, uh huh. What is the tagline for the terrifying ad? Is it don't watch it alone?
0: I think we just did it, right? Your life maybe depend upon it.
5: Yeah, that one's kind of an easy one. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right, so we're already I end. thought it was you'll love it. You'll <laughs> love it.
0: Well, if I was the head of this na- uh, this network, and I am,
6: <laughs>
0: I also love the scene where he's just looking down at himself in the mirror.
6: That's only yeah. that was Bill Murray. That wasn't the script. That was just
0: you it's know, such and a he smiled. Wi- it's like one of the worst ways that you'd ever want to be photographed from, though, which
5: is hysterical. Alright, what are the gifts that Frank and Claire exchanged on Christmas Eve when the ghost of Christmas past takes him back I to 1969? I know Knives.
0: And did he get the book, uh, the Kama Sutra book?
5: Exactly. Yeah. That is it.
6: Exactly.
0: But, but uh, also, what, am of I, yeah. what, what I also like is going to like this. These were great knives. He's trying to explain it. They can cut through a can. And you see that he's so embarrassed <laughs> looking back.
5: I've never liked a girl enough to give her 12 sharp knives. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <right.
0: laughs> but you know what is great right? like right after that is that like when he knows the breakup is coming and he's just holding the back of his... If you had to sit through all the awful things that you've done in your life.
6: Painful. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, it really oh. was. Oh. And they, and they, she's so... Karen Allen is like... The girlfriend, she was so perfect for it, and and
0: maybe the most kissable person in the history of the planet Earth. She was
6: adorable and a, a really good sport, because you can imagine. But but uh, yeah, he just picks her up all the time. I mean, off camera, that's his thing with girls. Is, it's like bone and a marlin. I mean, literally, exactly.
5: <laughs> <laughs> they made it to camera, exactly. All right, this is a process of elimination. Okay. Which of these musicians were not? Part of the scene where Frank Cross harasses the street players. See, this is always a good trivia thing good.
0: for with your friends when you lay on them to just say, All right, go ahead and do it.
5: All right, here's the choices. Who wasn't part of that scene? Miles Davis? Miles was in it. Dave Brubeck? Paul Schaefer? David Sanborn?
0: Sanborn was in it. Schaefer was in it. Brubeck?
5: No. It's Brubeck. Yeah. Well done. And, and actually, you know, we they, they, we did it
6: live on, on Fifth Avenue and. Uh, Billy was walking past, you know, he's having this fight with his brother, but you have your perfect whatever, and um, and the whole time Miles Davis is playing, I, I, I just kept, literally, as I was playing, it was our first scene shot of the first movie made uh, that Michael and I had ever had uh, made, and all I kept thinking was, Miles Davis is Miles
0: here? Davis, has, has he
6: ever been in a film? Never. And Billy was giving him shit the whole time, you know, <laughs> completely, like, you know, I mean, he, he says it in the thing, you know, yeah. get some lessons or whatever, yeah. he throws, throws some money in, uh, you
0: know it was freezing cold. It was Christmas week, and they were shooting there. And by the way, it sounds amazing. Like you that really, horn? Yeah, yeah, that horn. you just want that to go on for a while. Uh, but I also love the fact is that you can still that Paul Schaefer had some hair. Yeah, so I'm like, I, I've got Paul loves going back and watching this. Uh, we're talking about Scrooge. And Mitch uh, and Kelly, you guys have known every question so uh, long. 25 years since Mitch wrote this with Michael O'Donio, which uh, is insane to me. Um, give us the next one, Fez. It's
5: a little tougher here. Ooh, who's that? She's pretty. What paper carried the headline, IBC kills old, wom- old woman? Well, it's a tabloid, so it's got to be...
0: Is it a real paper? Is it the, it's got to be the news or the post. So
5: I got the I daily, got go
0: ahead, go ahead, give it.
5: The daily news, the post, the times, the village voice.
0: I know it's not the voice, and I know it's not the times. I'm leaning towards daily news. Do you know this one, I saw, I sure don't.
6: I remember seeing it. I,
0: I, I don't think I saw the big post Red at the top. Uh, but it's a, it's a real paper then. Yeah, I'm gonna go Daily News. XU, you no. Know?
3: I think it's the Post. I feel like the Post is what's used in movies.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you, I don't remember. And also, 25
6: years ago, it might have predated full-on Post. You know, Postiness, Post domination. <laughs> yeah, Post domination. Yeah, I mean, Daily news is bigger.
0: Yeah, and and I don't remember normally the the Post headline because the red jumps out more.
5: The answer is the Daily News. Uh, All right. We were lucky well, with that one. We're lucky, though.
6: It's amazing to let us use it, truthfully. It is, isn't it? These days, forget it. It would be something else.
5: Who told California slime ball Bryce Cummings there is no I in T E A M? Was it his track coach? His fencing coach... Fre- uh, fencing coach... <laughs> Did you
0: just say filching uh, I, coach? Oh it slipped. Fencing.
5: His, his fencing coach, his lacrosse coach, or his life coach?
0: This is an easy one. This is an easy one. That's his lacrosse coach. It is his lacrosse coach. Which, by the way, he was so hateable in that. And led to... Maybe at the time the cringiest joke, which was the Richard Pryor joke. Oh my
6: God! And by the way, I'll I'll give him the good, the good and the off, you know, off color. But this was Bill, I think, as I recall. Maybe we had it in there. I can't remember. But I don't know if you remember. He falls down right after he says that line. Yeah. And it was it was real. It was in the take. He slipped on water and and fell down. So it was like God's will. I mean, he actually said the joke and then boom, went down. The whole crew clapped and and, uh, um, but and Donner had worked with him in the in the toy. Oh that's right right so they knew each other and uh, yeah it was a, a bold joke I mean but yeah, paid, it was a little too soon
0: yeah. you yeah. know as years go by you don't really get the same kick in the stomach from right. that joke and it just seems funny but at the time I remember doing a cringe yeah it was it was it was rough yeah one.
5: Elliot Ladermilk is leaving early today <laughs> <laughs> what was the time between Elliot Laudermilk being fired and then thrown to the curb by IBC security? I know how
0: fast he said for him to do it. He said do it in five minutes.
5: Right. So, so you're
0: saying it's not five minutes. No,
5: he, uh, Frank Cross actually checks his watch, clicks it, and has an actual time that it took uh, between uh, Elliot being fired. Oh,
0: Am man. I right that he asked for five minutes, he does though? Say
5: for, yeah. yeah. So
0: the, All right, let's go.
5: The let's choices share. are two minutes, 32 seconds. Four minutes, 40 seconds. Six minutes, 25 seconds, 24 hours due to some red tape in HR.
0: No, I know he said it, wasn't it like a record or something? Yeah. Doesn't he yeah, make a, a joke record. about that? Yes. <laughs> so cool. He's fired it's so, so many people. But it's Christmas, <laughs> then stop his bonus. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
2: Yeah, thank
0: you. <laughs> the other funny thing is when Grace just starts fixing his pants. You know? <laughs> yes. just talking to And he's his, drinking. And he's yeah. drinking and letting it out. Is and he, you're like, this must happen a few times a week. He's
5: belching as he's down in the yeah. drink and saying, excuse me. Excuse me. me. Yeah. Excuse me. Pardon yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. And he drinks, God, that's he funny. drinks stab.
6: Uh, it was totally tab was it was the drink. In fact, <laughs> I remember getting a case of both, but it, it was all of a stab.
5: Uh, so what are our times again? Two minutes, 32 seconds. Four minutes, 40 seconds. Six minutes, 25 seconds.
0: I'm leaning 440 because it's closer to five minutes. Mitch, this doesn't even... You know, it probably was a Billy Ad-Lib. I'd say 440 as well.
6: It it is 440. Yeah. That's why he gets paid the big
5: money. Yeah. Coming up with that number. It's a joke number. (laughs) (laughs) What was the name of the shelter that Claire ran? Uh, you see it on hit the business card that Frank Cross holds, and then, of course, when he actually does, find the shelter. Yeah. At least I work in a place that you can find. <laughs> One of my favorite lines of the movie. It's really great. I love It's really great. All right, what is that, that is. Fuzzy? Yeah. Operation Reach Out. Operation Rescue. Operation Goodwill. Operation Desert Storm. I'm in
0: trouble here, Mitch. I think Reach Out. Operation Reach Out. We're going to go with it, Fess.
5: It is Operation Reach Out. Whoa, yeah. Good, Get this going. Yeah, yeah. We we're trying to be as in literal as possible. One.
6: <laughs> yeah, I was in trouble, and we actually added that thing about him doing Richard Burton because it's, it was something at the time Billy was really p- proud of, and and uh, Michael and I went <laughs> let's just torture him with it, and and uh, he used to do a Richard Burton impersonation. You know? It's
0: so funny too, and room. just out of nowhere,
6: yeah, out of just <laughs> nowhere, this
0: thing breaks. <laughs> Michael <in>. J. Pollard,
6: <laughs> yeah, uh, unbelievable, unbelievable. What, yeah. and he was so great and so sweet, and and. Uh,
0: you know, uh, kind of legendary at that point to us, anyhow. You know, from from Bonnie and Clyde and Bonnie and Clyde yeah. and the Star Trek, and then yeah. he'd done all kinds of strange movies. I mean, he was always like he was like the independent guy before that even existed. Completely, you know.
5: Yeah. And Ann Ramsey in that scene, yeah. so Just sweet.
6: perfect. She was so, and her husband, I forget his name, but but uh, yeah. And Anne was really ill. That was a, a Dick Donner thing. They'd worked, they knew each other, or whatever. And and uh, yeah, she was she was ill, she, and she just did a beautiful job as well. But but Billy doing his Richard Burton still, you know, makes me laugh.
0: It's so funny and just
5: so <laughs> odd. It is <Yeah>, just- Eva. <laughs> <laughs> by the I swear, by the I swear. <laughs> Next question, what was the incorrect? So pay attention to the question. What was oh, the incorrect?
0: I pay attention. Oh, yeah.
5: What was the incorrect answer that James and Wendy gave when asked the trivia question on the Adams family? What musical instrument did Lurch play? What was their wrong answer? Oh, my God. Violin, saxophone, piano, harpsichord. Well, we knew he played
0: the harpsichord, so that's out. But i got to tell you, I don't remember what the incorrect was. Was it violin?
5: The incorrect answer was piano. Oh. Oh.
6: Uh. By the way, Wendy Malick was my then wife, now... Clearly, ex-wife <laughs> uh, was uh, Wendy in in uh, in that scene. I mean, she's she's now on uh, Hot in Cleveland, I think. Or, yeah, Hot or, in yeah. Cleveland, yeah. And and she played uh, uh, Billy's brother's wife in that scene.
0: It's, it's amazing great. casting when you think about just He's how many show. people, you know Bobcat yeah. in that film was so
6: great. He was fantastic. He was unbelievable. Yeah. And as you said, Johansson, I think I think Billy had seen him. Murray had seen him. I don't know about act, but somewhere I mean, we, obviously I knew him from *Cry that I knew of him from from the dolls and stuff. Um, but that was, I think, Murray's idea.
7: Uh, but yeah,
6: it was so deep.
7: How about Carol Kane and the toaster? Oven? Unbelievable! She's spectacular. I mean. Leo. that actually <laughs> seriously you could make such a
0: great <laughs> S&M couple with those two Uh-oh. because it's really sexy and it's really <laughs> strange yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, uh, but you're like that she has that something about her thing uh, yeah. where you're like and they mm-hmm. were you know
6: who, who knows whether it was an yeah. in character thing but 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 they were there were sparks flying between the two of them and they were kind of edgy with each other uh on set a little bit i mean they they love each other after before and after but during it because that was the role she was playing, I guess. And when she did that that fake hit with the toaster, I thought I really thought she got him. I mean, yeah. I was standing on set, and there was a gasp on, on our side of the of the camera, like, "Oh my God, she just took his nose off!" Because I mean, she just whips it by. She missed him. He said he could feel the, the air yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as that thing went like, flying by his face.
5: All the ghosts were great, man. All the yeah. ghosts were just so great. John Forsythe was so fun. Yeah, well, g-
6: great guy. And by the way, all had to sit through those life mask things. I mean, you know, it was the early days where the CG stuff didn't exist really. So you know, he had to. Have the the one thing I remember was the the golf ball coming at the back of his head. That was in and out. I mean, there was debate about whether we'd just gone too far. And that was clearly okay. You and and can we have a mouse coming out of a guy's head and that is what freaked out my daughter I, mean, I remember watching it and she just screamed and ran out of the room
0: <laughs> and then Murray <laughs> spits out you know even though he's back he spits out the mm-hmm. golf ball yeah. it's, it's spooky shit for yeah. kids it really is
5: and then it just starts bouncing yeah. higher right. and higher <laughs> for some reason <laughs> right ghost gals, gals.
0: also the great thing of having that phone ring when he comes back which I'm sure kids have no idea the answer machine right. gimmick that you only have that much time but there's really really great pacing in this Movie. Um, talking about uh, one of our favorite Christmas films of all time, Scrooge. Mitch Glazer is sitting in here with us, Kelly Lynch, along too. But when you watch does you do you go back through writing this with O'Donoghue all the time? I mean, yeah,
6: I do. And 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 um, my memory of it, and maybe it's just a function of the years, but my memory of, of of all of it is so great. I mean, the the you know, as we wrote it. I mean, it, except for this one thing, I do remember. And I'm sure I've compressed it, but in my mind, we turn in the script on a Friday at Paramount, and we have, like, an office there or whatever. We're from New York, but we've we come out, and uh, and I think I got a call on Saturday. Basically, the, the guy who's, who's the vice president of the time saying, get off the lot. This is horrible. Oh, my God. We, we can't believe we paid you for this shit. And it was, like, one of those kind of nightmare you've, reactions. You ruined Christmas. To, to, yeah, what have you people <laughs> done? You know? And uh, we're, like, packing to go back. And in that weekend billy decided to do the movie and then it was the same guy calling boys welcome back
0: <laughs> you've done it again this is fantastic you know? <laughs> the and, and hollywood cliches sh- are true incredible because yeah. and, and, he was he was so.
6: so you know bill was so the king of comedy at, at that point and and um but yeah and when i watched the movie uh, still brings a smile all the way through it and and uh you know i think it accomplished what it was supposed to do i mean in, in that work on 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 you know a comic a comedic level and then have heart to it and and uh um, and as I said, we could stand by that last, from um, one night, we were the people we always hoped we would be. Unbelievable. Uh, and it took us weeks. I mean, it sounds crazy, but we just kept trying things that we could stand behind uh, and then and came to that.
0: Just as cynical as uh, O'Donoghue gets, he knew that there was value in that even if it was a shared illusion shared mythology
6: exactly and it was and, and it was a truth
0: i mean it was yeah. you know
6: uh, i mean you know you live in new york as we had i lived there 17 years and michael had been there longer and and you know people move through the city as they do but but the one thing we knew was that night christmas eve or those few days yeah uh, you know people were kind of sweet with each other or you know Merry Christmas strangers and all that right. stuff and that is if you, if you distill it down to the essence of of the holiday or of the message of the movie that's a miracle mm-hmm. and, and, we, and we could stand behind it and, and I think the movie can you know and, and, and then you know we got we have Al Green singing put a little love in your heart we yes. had nothing to do with that but I was in, in heaven and uh, yeah it still makes me happy to watch that
0: movie, you knew once that came around that a uh, boom, we're out. This is perfect. This is a great way, especially because he can, you know, Murray can just improvise inside of that song. It's so great. Yeah, yeah, and
6: and you know, I, never having worked with Bill before and having seen him on the show, and Michael had written for him uh, on SNL. Uh, he was as as advertised, or as I dreamt, and more. I mean, you know, he just um, he was on fire in that movie, and and.
0: You can see it. Well, when he just does, I mean, you see that some people are so comfortable. Feed me, Seymour. Out of nowhere, <laughs> you know. Look, you would normally say, "Look, what a weird choice. It's not going to make." But it's so Murray, you know yeah. what I mean? It's so Murray that you know that he's treating everyone as that uncle would treat the kids. Yeah, you know? and, that,
6: and that you know, you know, all the men, all the women, all that stuff was all right. on him. I mean, you know, we, you know, we, we were kind of trying to, trying to feed him stuff, you know, Michael and, and I. But uh, at the end of the day. I was just telling, saying that to somebody the other day. You put, you know, Billy in front of a live audience, which is basically what that was. Stand back. I mean, it's just it's spectacular. There's
0: also a little thing that he does, like when he's looking back at the ghost, and he does a, you know, like where you're kind of making fun of horror movies itself. Like, remember? uh, It's so funny and it's so oddly subtle.
6: And also, we also had, you know. Oh God, the brilliant actress who played Grace, who played his his secretary. Oh, uh, I out- yeah. I mean, she was by far, you know, overqualified for the job. I mean just an amazing actress and a and and a, and a lovely woman. Um and the, their relationship and it was spectacular you know all
0: the way through i mean she plays it so straight that thing with her and her family it's oh, so it's sweet. closer to reality yeah. you know than you know the way life gets people that work in manhattan most of them can't afford to live in manhattan yeah. they have to come in far and they go back and they're just making it that's the reality of, totally. of big cities mm-hmm.
6: you and, know and there's a moment when which is just a, i see it every time and i wince he's going in to see uh to go up to his office at the end gross christmas future and the the character shows up in the elevator and um and and Billy like reels back and clips her in the jaw with his elbow, which is he really yeah. did. And she's like holding her face. And every time I watch it, I, I like it, I winced <laughs> because he was so out of completely out of control. <laughs> and then once we shot the scene in the elevator, it was Michael, the late Michael Riva, the great production designer, and a good friend uh, of all of us in the, in the rig in that Ghost of Christmas Future, you know, kind of character. And he couldn't control it. He had, like, a little TV. He was trying to... He's inside it, trying... And so he backs Billy up against the elevator, and that's where... Back off, big man. I work with the chicks, you know.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's so uh, unbelievable. Yeah, literally just because the guy couldn't see. I'm
0: going to work with the chin. Yeah, It's so strong. That's him. All right, we, we finally missed one. I'm pissed about it. Yeah, By it's the irritating. way, you play this along at home. All right, what's the next one, Fez? A
5: few more here. Uh, what Christmas gift did Lou Parker receive from Frank Cross and Scrooge? That's where Grace is. It's time to uh, your Christmas list, Mr. Cross. So did Lou Parker get a bath towel? VHS, home video recorder, <laughs> bath towel, and a face cloth. Most of these are bath towels. Well, we know Grace is the only one who got the face cloth. Right. We know that. Mm-hmm.
0: So we're between really uh, bath
5: towel and... What about your bonus? I'm drying my hair with it. <laughs> based,
6: based on a real character, I must say. You know, the bath That's towel. sad. Yeah, is was, that real? Yeah, the, the bath towel is real. and I mean, uh, yeah. I, I, it was it was observed
0: so we got a fifty fifty shot here, Yep. I always wondered were those names anybody in particular or? there
6: was uh, the name Forrestal, uh susan Forrestall was was a uh, uh, a friend of ours uh, ex-wife of lauren michaels and and a uh, really good friend with michael so 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 Forrestal got in there uh, um, I don't remember the rest of them Parker, I don't think so. Most of the most of the names, you know, we didn't we didn't go after anybody, but it was kind of an homage for, for Susan. Um, Whitaker he had in there too, I think, or we did. What do, so
3: you, what think, do you think, Chris? Flip of a coin here. I'm going bath towel. I'm going with the percentages here.
0: The mm-hmm. only thing I would say about this is, wouldn't that make two of those correct? You know what I mean? Like that way, you can say most of these are bath towels or whatever. So I think that's almost like a trick question to get out of it. I think VHS. Yeah, I'm going VHS, too.
5: Lou Parker got a VHS home video recorder.
0: I, I noticed this. Every time Chris tries to help, it's, it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nice. <laughs> you really are a bad
3: guy. I think it's a
5: trivia. <laughs> John Forsyth played Frank Cross's old boss, Lou Hayward, but who played Scrooge's old partner, Jacob Marley, in the IBC production oh, of Scrooge? Oh, I'm,
0: I'm a little nervous about this. You'll get
5: it. Was it Jamie Farr, Pat McCormick, John Houseman, Or the Solid Gold Dancers?
0: Well, we know it wasn't Houseman. We know it wasn't the Solid Gold Dancers. But it should have been. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Which I can't... See, it's just a nipple. Yeah, and and these guys are looking. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I know that McCormick is in it, but Jamie Farr... Mitch, you know this one, right? You know, I, I remember seeing. I, I remember seeing Pat
6: McCormick. By the way, Pat McCormick was in um, this movie. Yeah. Yeah. it's insane. Yeah. But I remember under the mistletoe, like right around at the end of. Uh, right, he's standing next to her the kiss. Yeah. I, I'm going to go. I don't know. I, I guess. I guess Jamie Farr was in the movie. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. It goes I on believe. and on. It's just. It's so deep and.
5: And Mary Lou Retton. Right. You know who likes an acrobat, Frank?
6: <laughs> My kids. <laughs> Yeah, she was a good sport, too. Bless bless her heart. I I, I, I remember seeing both of them. God, this is terrible. I know Michael wouldn't get it either, so I feel better. But I'm going to
5: say Jamie. Jamie. It was Jamie Farr that played Jacob Marley. Uh, That was terrifying. Yeah. What holiday song is Elliot Ladermilk singing while he's stalking Frank Cross with a shotgun? Is it Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? Jingle Bells. Santa Claus is coming to town. Put a little love in your heart. I know this one. I know this one, too. Let's let Kelly do it. You better...
0: (laughs) (laughs) You better not talk. (laughs) It
6: is
5: Santa Claus is coming to town. All right, strong.
6: It was great. Yeah. He was great in the movie, too. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah.
5: And the final question. Around these parts, most people call me Mr. Cross. Who besides Claire referred to Frank as Lumpy? Was it the choreographer, the stage manager, the mouse wrangler, or the guy who says, you can only see them nipples?
0: Um, it's, it's the mouse wrangler.
5: Yeah. It is the mouse wrangler. By
0: the way, that guy was great too. Amazing. I would never do anything to hurt this little animal. Two cats and a dog. I
6: think he was a mouse wrangler, truthfully. If I think back on it, I think he, we just no one else was really comfortable with the mouse.
0: By the way, like we get into the really funny stuff, the, the the scary stuff, the scene where Karen Allen is just looking at the TV, thinks it might be her name, that you know, thinks it might be her. That he's, I mean it's just heartbreaking. It's just so great. It, it, so sweet. Those
6: big eyes. yeah, beautiful, Aww. yeah. And and you needed it. I mean, you know, if the if the movie's going to work beyond comedy, they the, you know, the, that, that to had the, the the love story had to play. And uh, and in the in the beginning when you when you see him fixing her her coat and you know when they first you know reconnect and uh it it really did track. I mean, you did you believe they believe them as a couple and and uh I mean, Bill's look and in, in in the in in when he's in the office party, the turtleneck and yeah. the the
0: mullet. I mean, God, who couldn't fall in love with that? I it's mean, it's just, so <laughs> Seriously, undeniable. It's so hysterical. You got me here. I'm sure you got me here. It's just so, like, those things shouldn't even get that kind of response that they get, but it's just so perfect. Yeah. Well, this what is the mean. amazing thing about. Uh, Mitch Glazer, not only has he done some really great work, but just what a great life I forget by the time you marry uh kelly Lynch it 's time to hate you,
4: <laughs> you know what I mean? like, at, at a certain point
0: you just have to say enough, but I always remember for years like just your name would pop up I'm like. Damn, this dude's doing this now. He's there. He's always oh, you know, you're reading some Don Henley and Aspen. Oh, and Mitch Glazer's. I'm like Mitch. He's an Aspen. He's everywhere. Um, It's been
6: it's been amazing, and and uh, I don't know what to stop. I love it. I mean, you know, but but at this point, there are times when you know Kelly calls me Zell. there are times where, where it's just almost stupid i mean it's really been an amazing life you know
0: i I think it's because you're awake dude i really do i think that there's a lot of people that you're awake enough to see where the next thing is and, and you're cool enough to appreciate it you got enough humility that you go oh this is great you know what i mean rather than why didn't this happen again you know you dig it Thanks so much, you guys, for coming in Great here. Great to see right you. Always fun. Uh, yeah, stop by any time. Seriously, do you, this is, we're always here. If you what night come are you going to watch Scrooge again? Uh, well, you know, I watched it the other night, but I, I'll definitely be watching it Christmas Eve.
5: Uh, well, yeah, if you don't own it already, it's available on demand on Amazon.com, and it's playing Christmas Eve on ABC Family. Oh, terrific. Love it. Great to see you guys. Let's Thank you Let's so stop back and see man. us again.
3: It's the best. Ron and feds on Raw Dog Comedy.
0: It's
3: Channel 99.
8: Happy Holidays from the U.S. Armed Forces and Sirius XM.
3: I'm United States Navy Commander Ron Terry in Singapore this holiday season at Fleet Logistics Center Site Singapore, supporting America's rebalance to the Asia Pacific. On wish my family and friends in Struthers, Ohio, happy holidays. Thank you for your support. And thanks to all Americans who back the U.S. Navy.
5: To a safe and
8: happy holiday season from everyone at Sirius XM.
3: You're listening to the best of run and Fess on Comedy
1: Ain't a holiday, a decorated tree. It ain't about branches or a special on TV. It's a standing for another word. You know this secretly. I won't come out and say the word. That's your discovery. But it rhymes with glow, and you wear it on the hand of mystery. Pirates and sailors, and those lost at sea. Cowboys and Indians, drunkards, are free. Know what I mean, and so I Christmas thee. Doctors and dentists, those lost in a dream. Fishermen, ferrymen crossing the stream. Know what I mean, and so I Christmas thee. Know what I mean, and so I Christmas thee. While this word is secret ain't a secret just a trick We dress our dreams in different names To keep from getting sick There's nothing new beneath the sun We've known that for a while The film is done, the lights are up I'll see you in the aisle Robbers and brigands of skullduggery Criminals, vandals of dark mystery Know what I mean and so I Christmas thee Just John and Fallon, Pantera, Mikey Mojo and Alice, Hot Top and Riley, Chafter and AJ, Spots and Bassie Know what I mean and so I Christmas thee. David and Earl, Ron and Bezy, Know what I mean and so I Christmas thee. Know what I mean and so I Christmas thee. Say it with me now, cause I Christmas thee. That was Sleeves with
3: I Christmas Thee. A wonderful song, and it is Christmas Day with the Ron and Fez Show. I've been having a couple cocktails, but that's not a problem. I'm keeping it together.
0: Right, th- we think it's funny to have him you know, bring us back, but yeah. you forgot to mention who's here, what we're doing. Oh, uh, and you're calling beers cocktails, which I <laughs> worry about.
3: Ron Bennington is here. Bennington. <laughs> Bennington. Ron Bennington, Fez Watley, myself, Chris Stanley, Shelby in the booth, and we're having some fun times talking about the best subs that are coming up next. But <laughs> it's Christmas Day. I just want to have a nice Christmas just for once. Just you don't one. normally
0: have a nice Christmas?
3: Just No, I just, just I'm once. I'm going to
0: point out something to you. Yeah, We recorded all these best ofs the night of the office, office Christmas party, yeah. which means to the listening audience, Chris Stanley's been drunk for over a week now. And it's Christmas. So you just sound like a raging alcoholic
3: <laughs> <laughs> on a daily basis. I went back to Sam Adams. That's so, all what, what I'm going to say. It's rich and balanced. That's the kind of things drunk people say. It's what the fucking label on the bottle says, Ron. Okay.
0: I know, but most people don't (laughs) seem to let people know what to drink. Like you wouldn't announce, I've been drinking Pepsi Cola, and it comes to us out of Connecticut. They're a fine distributor, but you're trying to take on Coca-Cola.
3: I know for a fact the Pepsi headquarters is in Purchase, New York.
0: Well, it is, isn't. it is in Connecticut, right? It's across the little state line there. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah,
3: it's not in New York, though. Wow. I went to their um, sculpture garden once. Mm -hmm. I was tripping. It's really sad. So this
0: is Christmas announcements of Sins, (laughs) past Sins. What's
5: coming up next, Fizzy? Coming up next, we'll be talking to some of the Christmas uh, guests, Darlene Love. Paul she's Anka. There,
0: she's there every year for, uh, for Letterman. Paul Anka made this Christmas album. And Annie Lennox. Wow. Mother Winter. There she is. Mother Winter. I hope you guys are having a great Christmas wherever you happen to be. Uh, whether it's down south, up north, or somewhere in between. East, west. Enjoy yourself on this Christmas day. Remember... Don't enjoy yourself, but don't be a Chris Stanley. What's that supposed to mean? Don't overindulge.
3: I think I've indulged just enough.
0: Really? Because you become a burden to everyone else, and Shelby told me that he's frightened
3: of you. He should be. That's fucking, that's just instinct.
0: Can you uh, answer this question, and would you be honest? All right, shoot. Did you say to my young producer, Shelby, I'll shove this uh, bottle so far up your ass, I'll be able to see it in your mouth?
3: Yeah, and then I said, I'm going to drink you later, motherfucker. I'm going to drink you till I get so drunk I can't understand who you are. This is a sad Christmas to see you like this.
4: It's scarier for someone to say, I'm going to drink you, than say, I'm going to take a swing at you. I mean, I don't even know what that entails. I'll
0: have a booze
3: (laughs) Christmas without you. (laughs) We got Institute of Smoking Policy in this goddamn... Office. Do
0: what I do, baby. Just fucking vape.
3: I love a vape. Look at that. Yeah. Mmm. Mm. My mouth's watering. You know what it gives me, Chris? What's that? Satisfaction. That's what I need. I can't get no satisfaction.
0: <laughs> and a truck. And a truck. Happy Christmas, everybody! From a drunk Chris Stanley. What's up? To a diabetic, Fez Wattley, <laughs> to an annoyed, uh, Ron Bennington, and if you can listen closely with Shelby, do you hear that? What is that? Thin ice. He's celebrating Christmas <laughs> by walking on thin ice. <laughs> enjoy yourself this Christmas, and enjoy Miss Darlene Love. Now, if that isn't Christmas, I don't know what else is. Miss Darling. Love, how are you, darling?
9: I am just fantastic. I'm I'm giggly. I'm so fa- good. <laughs> you know what?
0: You are absolutely correct. You are 100% fantastic. Thank you. You know, we were all just talking about uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, came on the other night, the uh, the big tribute show at Madison Square Garden. Gigantic rock stars happening out there. But when you take the stage... Bam! The energy changes immensely.
9: It was amazing. Um, When I got nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I got a call about three days later from Bruce Springsteen's manager, Mm -hmm. uh, and Bruce wanted me to sing on the show with him. Mm -hmm. And uh, I told him it was a setup. (laughs) He set me up because uh, his introduction of me was, "It's a shame you're not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame yet." Right. And I was the only person, actually, that was on that stage those two days that is not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And then you walk out there and blow the roof off the place. (laughs) I try. (laughs) Is is there anything
0: intimidating about walking out in something like that, or have you worked with so many great people and done so many shows, you? doesn't bother you anymore.
9: Oh, no. It bothers me all the time, but the, the trick is not to let it. Bo- let people see it bothers you. Yeah. You just keep it all in you, and that's the energy that comes out once I start working. So as soon as you hit the stage, you're fine, but
0: walking up to the stage... Exactly. You're like, this has got to go good.
9: Right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, you know, your career is so amazing, looking over the stuff that you've done through your life, and it never seems like it follows
9: any kind of set plan
0: just things things happen somehow
9: i think uh we were talking about my life for the last five or six years it's like taking a life of its own Mm -hmm. it's just going and i have a saying you know everything in its own time right you know if you hang in there and like i've done i've always tried to take care of myself Uh, i go to the gym five days a week Mm -hmm. you know i try to take care of my voice and um, it's starting now to pay off. And that's good. I told Bruce, I'm going to be like you. But I ain't going to do no <laughs> four-hour rehearsal in a full four-hour show either. You, <laughs> did you have to go and rehearse crazy with him? Yeah. we yeah. rehearsed for two hours that day of the show. And then we did a two-hour rehearsal the day before at SIR, at the, at the uh, rehearsal studio. So mm-hmm. he works hard. And I believe in doing the same thing. I think you do what you do when you rehearse. Someone told me one time, they should charge to come to see your rehearsals (laughs) because my rehearsals are what i'm going to do when you see me what happens when you do it in person the crowd lifts you to another level
0: but do you ever get worried that you're going to leave something in rehearsal like some of the energy gets left behind no Never. never
9: no and especially working with bruce i've never felt That kind of energy before I felt it, but not unlike what was at the garden a couple of weeks ago. Because he works so hard and his energy level is so high, Mm -hmm. when you come on the stage, that you want to meet his his energy level. So it just brings that energy level up when you come on the stage. You come on ready to sing. I could have sung all my way all all the way out to the microphone. (laughs) You're ready for
0: it. (laughs) Yeah. You and you've sang with so many great people. You sang with the King. You sang with Elvis Presley. Right. At a time where you know i don't even know if we have stars as big as what elvis presley was
9: not then no 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 uh because elvis presley was just finishing up his movie career right and now he wanted to do his career his you know stand you know sing for people now uh, an audience and he was intimidated by doing it he was a little afraid of doing it because it's been so many years he's taking time off yeah right you know he just started doing movies and he stopped singing live and uh just to be able to be there at the beginning of that Mm because we did his nineteen when i say we the blossoms the other two girls i sang with did his nineteen sixty eight comeback special and we had so much energy in that room he asked us to be on film with him and during the special so we did the gospel part of that that mm-hmm. uh, the show and then he asked us to go to vegas with him but at that time we really couldn't commit that kind of time you know to go out on the road with him because it was he he wanted you to commit for a couple of years and right. i could not see me committing myself <laughs> for that long <laughs> you know you never know what's going to come up so is that then that, and that's
0: always been the way with you too right just wait for the next thing to come yes along. right Uh, You know, we're so close to the Brill Building. You grew up West Coast, though, right? Right, right. You grew up on the West Coast. And how did you get here in the East and and hook up with some of the stuff that was going on in the Brill? Well,
9: you know, it was so funny because Phil Spector came from New York back to Los Angeles and Mm -hmm. recorded He's a Rebel. And he didn't use the the original Crystals to sing the song. And plus, Snuff Garrett, another record producer, had already recorded He's a Rebel. Mm -hmm. Phil heard it. He came to California, found the musicians, he found me, and we mm-hmm. went into the studio and recorded it, even before they even put theirs out. Really? <laughs> right. So by the time they put their record out, ours was already going up the charts. Right. So that's how I actually met Phil Spector and found out about all the Brill Building people, because mostly all my songs were written by Jeff and Eric, uh, Jeff and Ellie. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's how I met them. I came to New York by the strangest coincidence you probably ever want to hear. I was doing a show. Uh, for Lou Adler at the Roxy Mm -hmm. and he said listen I'll just invite all my friends and we'll just all come and support you because I I want to start working again live and Steve Van Zandt came and he had Bruce Springsteen with him Wow! and they were in the back and I had learned the song and for the first time put in my show Hungry Heart Mm -hmm. because I thought it was a fantastic song but I would do it my way And Bruce said he had never heard that song sang like that. He said, I don't even know if I sang it that good. I said, oh, yeah, you do. (laughs) And then Steve said, you need to come to New York. And I said, well, I don't know anybody in New York, you know, that could get me to come here to work. So he actually found me two jobs, a job at the Peppermint Lounge, which was still going at the time and at the bottom line. And I came here and I worked, this was in 1982, mm. and uh Alan Pepper, who owned the uh Bottom Line, they were getting ready to do a show about Ellie Greenwich's music. And during my show, he realized how many of my songs Ellie had written. And that's how I ended the first time I came here. And when I came here the second time to do that show, I said, you know what? Maybe I should move here. Mm. Things are kind of moving here in New York. <laughs> Maybe well, this is where I should be. Well, it's amazing that you did the Specter
0: stuff on the West Coast because yeah. everything about that seems East Coast. That you know, all the girl group stuff was happening on the East Coast, but you got to record with him out there,
9: right? Well, he was running from New York. Yeah, and I, he probably couldn't come back for what he did—not
0: <laughs> for a little while, anyway. <laughs> so even back then, you knew the Phil Specter thing was heading. In the direction it eventually went.
9: I did. Because I tell people all the time, Phil was doing recordings that nobody was doing yet. Mm -hmm. You know, he was, you know, overdubbing and overdubbing with Echo. which You really have to know what you're doing if you're going to do that. And some of the songs that we sang back in those days, Phil knew what he wanted. Which was unusual for a producer. Yeah. They usually come and ask you, well, what do you hear? You know, what do you hear in the song? Uh, tell me what you hear. He knew exactly what he wanted. And I always say he's like a uh, the circus master in the middle of the stage popping his whip. You know, so was that comfortable for you as a singer to say? Just tell me exactly where you want me to go with it, or would
0: you f- rather feel it out?
9: No, uh, for one reason, I was a a big background singer at the time, mm-hmm. and we usually go in the studios and we ask them what they want. You mm-hmm. know, this is your record, this is your session. What do you hear on the session? So uh, they would tell us or tell us to make it up as we go or whatever. But with Phil, it was really great. We didn't have to think about what to do. And if I wanted to really sing, what was great about Phil, he wanted you to sing his melody. Right. Don't go off the melody, sang my melody. And when the song is over, you can do whatever you want to do on the yeah. end of the songs. And most people don't even hear the end of the fade. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Phil, had. A, he always said, if the song is not sold in the first 16 bars, it's not going to sell.
0: Yeah.
9: I never heard anybody say that before.
0: He was so in tune to what was happening at that time yes. in America. And,
9: uh, and, and music kind of changed from that point on. It changed a big time. Yeah. And it left him in the cold because he tried to recreate that sound. And you just cannot. Right. You cannot because Phil used to record. And then, you know, in the studios, <clears throat> speakers are so loud. Mm-hmm. But when he mixed it all down, he had a little bitty radio. And he would lay his head on the console and listen to what it was going to sound like. Yeah, coming out of the radio,
0: like he was a kid in his own room. Yes, that's brilliant.
9: I know. That's why I said he was brilliant. Yeah. And we've seen a lot, worked with a lot of producers, but I've never seen them do that.
0: Yeah. Uh, so at that time when things started to pop, uh, it must have felt at certain times. All right, this is the gigantic break that i 've been waiting for because there 's one thing about you is you so much respect from the the people that you 've worked with and the people that know music, but it took a while to get that large kind of acceptance and people knowing what you 've done on a lot of these records
9: yeah, um, I think it had a lot to do with the history of how I started mm-hmm. doing backup and then People started wanting me to go out on the road with them. Right. You know, as their backup singers, I went out on the road with Dion Ward for 10 years. Yeah. Then I got with Tom Jones for 2 years. I worked with um um Sammy Davis Jr. for a year. They just saw that part of me. Right. You know what I mean, even though there were other people who knew I could sing lead. That's what they wanted at the time. So it right. actually took me a long time you get stereotyped. Sure. That's the baddest thing about doing certain things. You get stereotyped. That's what they want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can sing, but right now, this is what I want you to do. Yeah. But from that, I ended up getting a lot of respect from entertainers. And that meant more to you than chasing your own career? Or? Oh, yeah. At yeah. the time, yes, I had two children, and I could stay at home and take care of them. Right. And you not leave it all in the hands of my husband or worry about what's going to happen to my kids. Mm-hmm. So it was okay for a while, and then at the age of 40-something, I decided to start this solo career (laughs) like a crazy person. (laughs) You know, what's wrong with me? (laughs) But um, I was dating Bill Medley, one of the Righteous Brothers, and he said, you know what? You have an unbelievable voice. You're either going to start your career or stay a background singer the rest of your life, and that's when I made the choice. One of the hardest choices I ever made, because now it was all about darling love. Yeah. Finding me work, selling myself to promoters, which was really, really hard because I was not a crystal. Yeah. I was Bobby Sox and the Blue Jeans, but the Crystal songs were the biggest records. And those are the ones that you were singing lead on, but weren't given credit. Right, he's a rebel. Um, do run, run, and he's sure the boy I love. Wow. And they were the biggest records. Darling, Love's records was like top twenty. Uh huh. You know, my records was not as big as theirs. So it got to the point a lot of people start saying there probably isn't really a Darling Love. One of either the Crystal, one of them was singing,
2: mm-hmm.
9: but they had it the other way around when it was actually <laughs> I was doing all the singing. But uh, it took a while, and I think moving to New York was one of the best ideas I had, because you can work in New York. You don't have those kind of clubs in California. Yeah, there's a cabaret-type
0: thing here that people could show up, and you can't fake it behind production when you're in a smaller place like that. When you walk in and you're singing... That's, what, that's the deal you're going to get.
9: That's the, And then they didn't, even today, you can make people sound great on stage, but sure. you couldn't back in those days. They didn't have all the equipment that they have today to make you sound great. By the way,
0: Darlene, of course, is going to be uh, performing. Uh, of course, uh, you can go to com. You're also going to be playing at the B.B. King's December 13th and then the Bergen PAC on December 20th. And then the Dave Letterman, the annual David Letterman show that you do is the 23rd. And that has been how many years now?
9: 20, this will be 24. 24 <laughs> years. <laughs> yeah. And it's
0: always this gigantic real feeling of christmas i think that's the closest we get to a real christmas special
9: i think because they don't have them anymore and yeah. then if they do them they're so contrived and they're taped and you know they don't have everything everything at our show is live mm-hmm. and paul schaefer rehearses the choir and the band and me mm-hmm. like we've never did that song before <laughs> every single year oh, every year yeah. it's not like okay come in the studio and let's sing never Sometimes the choir comes in like an hour or two hours before call time.
0: It's interesting, too, because Schaefer uh, seems like he would be perfect with you because he has the same kind of background as you, of yes.
9: doing everything in the music business. Right. Well, that, the reason that I do the show every year was because Paul Schaefer played Phil Spector when we did Leader of the Pack downtown at the bottom line. Uh-huh. And he got Dave to come down to see the show. And one day on the television show, I guess a couple of weeks later, he said, we got to get that, that girl on this show to sing that song. You know that Christmas <laughs> song I tell you, that's the greatest Christmas song I ever heard. Yeah. And from that till now, cause it's funny, they forget. They say, how long has Darlene been doing this show, Paul? He said, oh, about 12, 13 years. I said, you guys forgot about NBC. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we did do it there for a while before we moved over here. So, but I have the proof because I have the very first <laughs> tape that we ever did.
0: Well, what I love about it is, like you said, of course, Paul loves music. But Dave, you don't normally get that feeling about yes. until your show. I know. And then every year he seems to be a little different about the Christmas show.
9: Jen, genu- once I was, I had to go to, I was in uh London
0: mm-hmm.
9: for Christmas and New Year's and I couldn't do the show and somebody else did the Christmas show and and Dave, they said, Dave said, not on air, mm-hmm. but he said, if she can't come here to sing that song, we're not doing a Christmas show.
0: Just the hell with it.
9: Yeah, right, 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 because he really does say Christmas, he start everybody's saying that. Yeah. Christmas doesn't start until you hear Darlene Love saying, Christmas baby, please come home. Uh,
0: for you, is that like a, a fun niche to have now that you're now known as this, you know, for, for the Christmas shows?
9: Oh, yeah. yeah. It's always fun. And people stop you on the street emails, texts, Mm -hmm. when are you doing it? Uh, I hope you're doing it this year. And a couple of years ago, they were on strike. (laughs) (laughs) And they actually played one of the old shows, but they played that song. It's so interesting because you're
0: known for so many kind of uh, different eras by different people. Right. Uh, You know, also, of course, for your your movie work that you did with Unlethal uh, Weapon. Right. For how many of those has ever been we four? We did four
9: as, four as Danny Glover's wife. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then the Christmas stuff and of course the girl group stuff. So you probably and
9: your Broadway stuff so you, you don't, wouldn't know why people are approaching you at any <laughs> given time. <laughs> at any given because even when I was doing Hairspray a couple of years ago Yeah. Standing in the line because you know we sign autographs after the show is over and people will stay. you're doing David Letterman this year? <laughs> okay. All right. We, we want you we we're waiting to see it. And people all over the country, not just here in New York, people all over the country stopped me and asked me that question, which is wonderful.
0: And then you also started, I guess, like a lot of people from singing in church, right?
9: Yes. My father was a preacher. And uh, started in the choir, gospel. Started in the choir. It was seven of us. Mm -hmm. And uh, my sister also is a singer. Um, So that's how it started. And it was straight gospel during that time. Right, uh, it was Pentecostal, so we couldn't cross over and do no devil's music. Is, is, <laughs> at, at
0: what time were you at, were you allowed to? <laughs>
9: Uh, I was 16, uh-huh. and I met the group The Blossoms, and my mother and father didn't think it was anything wrong, because mm-hmm. I met their parents, and I was very well chaperoned, because the girls were three years older than me, so mm-hmm. they kind of took care of me like I was their little sister, and everywhere we went, we were chaperoned, and he knew. Uh The biggest thing started happening after I left home, and we got the television show Shindig, right. but still at that time, I wasn't thinking about having this gigantic career, I thought this was just another step, you know, it, doing something different. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's really interesting, though, that the people who grew up singing gospel, they will bring that feeling, right. I guess, into secular music. It,
9: that's very, very true. And but, you know, there are some that can't do that. They uh, can't do both. They can't because I think they oversing when they come to rock and roll or blues. Mm-hmm. Aretha could do it, right? But some, they're just not going to let everybody do it because some, of the, some of them, I think, go way overboard with their gospel. You kind of have to bring it down. You can do it in person if when you do shows. Right. But when you're recording, you have to kind of bring it down. That's what Phil Spector did to me. You hear no gospel in my voice in the do, do run run yeah or he's sure the boy i love or zippity do da well, <laughs> you know what, what's really interesting
0: is that you don't really even hear the west coast that's why i always thought that you were on the east coast when you made those things because it has an urban has a city sound about it
9: yeah and because there's no urban city you don't think about urban cities in los angeles right you think about it here
0: yeah uh, los angeles is just that kind of rolling Spread suburb Right out
9: yeah <laughs> so i would guess
0: that you had somewhat of a sheltered childhood in and then very. You know, being thrown into this, particularly at that time when they're, you know, uh, the crossover music was happening, not all the people were happy about it, right?
9: No, and the girls group kind of got lost in the shuffle. Mm-hmm. I was very fortunate to be able, I could go out and work, do background singing right, uh, behind any star or whoever wanted me to work, and we were very in demand back in those days. I think that's the reason why we stayed with Dionne Warwick for 10 years. Uh, but... It had gotten so bad and slowed down. If you weren't already a star, it was hard for you to get to be a star or get people to know who you are during that the mid-60s when mm-hmm. all the boys' groups and we call it the London and the the English groups sure. all came over here. It was all about them. That was it. Uh, and, of course, the Motown thing was happening, and that was something that
0: you weren't a part of, right? right. That was almost competition. So why all these... These kids were getting on TV for the first time. You were with another company. Right, exactly. Yeah.
9: And then the funny thing about the Blossoms, they didn't know where to put us. Mm-hmm. They had record us. We recorded for uh, for um, Columbia Records, for RCA Victor Records, uh, you know, Capitol. And they just didn't know where to put us. Mm-hmm. We didn't sound black. We didn't sound white. So that was the reason why we could do such great things get such great background
0: you over. can mo- you could fit in with anyone right because you were even doing stuff for uh mamas and papas
9: and the beach boys back then right what, and what song dean what songs were you on uh the beach boys is in my room which was that's yeah. beautiful beautiful song <laughs> it's a great song and, and then i you- I've never even picked up on
0: that, though. Well, you listening. know why?
9: Because Lou Adler was so great, and mm-hmm. the Beach Boys were so great. We were just giving them... We weren't there to let anybody know there was anybody else on the record. We were just building the sound. Yeah. You know, Phil Spector could overdub and give you all that sound, but a lot of people couldn't do that. So people like Lou Adler, who had the Mamas and the Papas and Jan and Dean, would use us just to embellish the sound, not to change it. Yeah. I just started telling that story about all of them you know maybe 10 years ago but nobody cares i mean they don't care that right. i'm telling that story so so what what mama's and papa's records were you on do you remember oh any? monday oh. monday really so oh, yeah. right from the beginning oh yeah yeah lou adler yeah. we started lou adler and herb albert in the business wow they were two struggling uh entertainers herbie was trying to be a singer and we say baby you fine but you can't sing yeah go pick up that trumpet
0: <laughs> the people I, I just did a thing with Cheech and Chong the other day, ah, who Cheech and with, Chong too with Lou Adler and Basketball
9: Jones, Basketball Jones. <laughs> you
0: sang on that song, right, right, right. Um, they described Lou Adler because you know, since he's a producer, not everybody knows him. But Cheech said that he's the guy that you see half of his picture sitting next to Jack Nicholson every at, year. every Laker. You just game. have to
9: look for that white hat, <laughs> <laughs> so, because time has changed, yeah. And he's done with the business. You know, I tried to pull him out of retirement about 15 years ago, and he said, no, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Well, it was guys like him who made all the money. That's right. Exactly. (laughs) Because he sold uh, Don... What did he sell? I forgot who he sold his company to for... So many millions of dollars back in those days, and he yeah. was the only person he came out to do was uh, what's her name, Laura, uh, Laura um, Nero. Laura Nero. Yeah. But that was it. He didn't do anything else after that.
0: Had you met her? Had you? Uh... Yeah, I
9: did some of the, the background on her album. God,
0: it's some of the most beautiful <sighs> music ever done.
9: Yes, those uh, are those songs. Can I do that one? Give that one to me.
0: Yeah. <laughs> some of the most gorgeous music I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. Uh, What a pleasure to have you uh, sitting in with us today. By the way, if you get the chance, folks, uh, it's DarleneLoveWorld.com. And look for On Letterman coming up very, very soon. That's December uh, 23rd. And on the East Coast, B.B. King's at New York City, December 13th. And then the Bergen PAC on December 20th. What a pleasure to have you in Thank here, you. Darlene. Thank you. This is always wonderful to come up here. Well, it's, <laughs> it's great to have you in. Let's go out with, uh, well, he's a rebel. How about right. that one? one? of your faves? <laughs> yes. God bless you. And have a you great also.
9: Time. Have a good Christmas. Stand by for more of
3: the best of Ron and fast on Raw Dog. Raw Dog Comedy
2: Hits, <laughs> Channel ninety nine. Raw
3: Dog
5: Comedy Hits, Channel ninety nine.
3: You know when sitcoms do clip shows from previous episodes? Yeah, well, it's kind of like that. (laughs) This is the best of Ron and Fez. Ron and Fez. On Raw Dog. Comedy. Hits. Channel 99.
8: Rightful. And the fire is so delightful, and since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, just let it snow. Doesn't show signs of stopping, and I brought some corn for popping. And the lights are turned way down low. Let it snow, yeah, let it snow. And we finally kiss good night. How I'll hate going out in the storm. But if you really hold me tight, all the way home I'll be warm. Fire is slowly dying And my dear, we are still goodbye But as long as you love me so It can snow, it can snow, so let it snow Yes, I'll hate going out in the storm All the way home, I'll be warm The fire is slowly dying Baby, we're still Goodbye As long As you love me so Let it snow Yes, let it snow There's no better place I go So Let it snow
0: That is Songs of December from the one and only Paul Anka Paul Anka in studio with us How are you, sir? Hey, my man, how you doing? It's good to see you uh, a Christmas album, mm-hmm. uh, Christmas songs. Why these songs on this album? Why? Why did you pick these?
8: Well, there's certainly a wide variety. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason for these is uh, for the concept of the album. I wanted to do an album that had uh, one vibe through it. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to do the traditional brass and bells and whistles and choirs and stuff that you're hearing. And out of the process, I came up with these because they're familiar Mm -hmm. uh, songs that I knew, but songs that I could bend around and put them within the concept of very lush, very romantic, within the concept of... Yeah, it's Christmas, but it ain't happy for everybody. Right, and I took these songs and and reinvented them, not in, like I did with with uh, with rock swings, but I tried to find ones that that I could personalize, and uh, apply the kind of string approach, the romantic approach that I have on there. Certainly, there were other ones. But I wound up with these. The stretch ones for me were like Blue Christmas, which was very tied to Elvis. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to really come up with something very different on that because I liked Elvis's record. And all the songs on there I like a lot, uh, Let It Snow. My friend Sammy Kahn uh, wrote that years ago. Uh, Mel Torme, who was a friend, the Christmas song. So there's a personalized approach to all of them and it had to fit the infrastructure of where I wanted to take this in terms of the vibe of the record.
0: There's so many great songs on here. And you being a songwriter, mm-hmm. uh, when you sing their songs, do you end up thinking about the songwriter? Does uh, When you're doing a song, do you think about that person who first uh, put it down on paper?
8: Um, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. I, let, I let the song really be the criteria. Uh, you know, having a knowledge of the business and growing up with it and knowing writers because I'm a writer. I'm aware of who wrote it, but it really Mm -hmm. doesn't come into the picture when I'm doing it, other than uh, the respect I have for those that have structured the song. So if I see something by Sammy Khan or by Mel Mm -hmm. or these other great writers, I know that I'm dealing with a great, piece of material that's pliable in a sense and that can be done anyway but you just take on this song as if it was yours right from the right beginning. i try to make it mine mm-hmm. like i did with rock swings i try to sing it and approach it as if i wrote it and keep the integrity of where i keep it within my style yes mm-hmm.
0: so were you performing as a kid before you started writing songs or did that kind of go hand in hand
8: I started around 12 or 13 years old. Mm-hmm. I was a big fan of music. So I was singing in a church choir. I was singing at school. I was doing performances. Uh, imitations was a big part of my life back then. And then I started getting into music. I worked at a local uh, newspaper. I wanted to be a writer. And I got thrown out of shorthand, but I kept the typing. The shorthand led to piano. And I started to get a knowledge of music. So I started to become the writer, and I started just writing songs. And then when I saw this girl, Diana who had a crush on, you know, a few years older than I was. You know, in those days, that's what it was about. I wrote the song, but I just wrote it as a writer. And it was all about songwriting for me back then. And once you
0: wrote that song and other people connected to it, then it became this lifetime thing for you.
8: Yeah, Yeah. The life change came uh... what a lot of people don't know is you know being the fan that i was i came to california to uh... see an uncle of mine mm-hmm. and it was when i started to write and i wrote a song called uh, "Blow wild the beast fontaine mm-hmm. and it was a city in africa part of a book report i had to turn in part of my writing course but the record at the time was called Stranded in the Jungle by the Cadets. I was a big doo-wop guy, and I loved all of that stuff. And I loved this song. And I used to go down to Wallach's Music City and sit in one of those booths, and I'd listen to it. But then I, one day I bought the record, and it said, uh, Bahari Brothers, uh, Modern Records, Culver City. And it was just a few miles from where my uncle was. So I said, man, I'm going to hitchhike out there, and I'm going to go in and see these guys and play my song. So I walked in, got a ride out, and uh, there was the Bahari family, and I said, you know, I'm Paul Anka from Otto, and they looked at me like I was delivering coffee because I was in jeans and a t-shirt. I said, I got this song. <laughs> so, you know, in those days, it was like infancy stage pop music. Yeah. And uh, they said, well, I'll let you hear it, kid. So I started singing, blah, blah, the Beast fontaine, where love is so splendor and no one can remember a moonlit night and a magic night and a dreamer's holiday. They said, we're your parents. <laughs> I said, in Canada. And they said, well, we want to sign you. I said, you got to be kidding. So they, they, they you brought in a guy named Ernie Freeman, uh-huh. who was a great, great arranger who later made it big time. And they said, how would you like the cadets that sing Stranded in the Jungle to sing with you? I said, are you kidding me? They bring in the cadets, Ernie Freeman, and there was a garage in the back, just like Motown. We went in and we cut a record. Blah, wild the Beast, Fontaine, I Must Confess, on the other side. They put it out. Maybe I sold a hundred copies. I was a failure at fifteen. <laughs> I wasn't dejected. Uh, I think there the, was his name, the wolf dog or some guy wolf in man. Buffalo. One of those guys played yeah. a hound dog, I think, Buffalo. Yeah. Anyway, this does nothing, but I get the injection right up the arm. I right. gotta be in this business. The next year I leave and go to New York and I get lucky with Diana, with Don Costa.
0: And but I imagine at fifteen, just carrying that record around and seeing your name on it must have been oh, almost enough already, right? Hooked, yeah, hooked.
8: Buzz, uh, buzz, buzz.
0: And then when you got to New York at that period of New York, there was so many things popping here too, right? Well, Dude. Brill Building, yeah.
8: doop, you know, all of that was just starting to happen. Presley had kicked in; the whole Brill Building action was happening. You know, you had Kirshner. It was a yeah, it was a great time, you know, and big time doop time. Philadelphia crowd. So when I hit, I'm living in a bathtub on uh, 46th Street, I think the President Hotel, mm-hmm. making the rounds and uh, enjoying this, this environment, and uh, walking into Costa's office at ABC, and then all of a sudden I became a part of it. And as soon, I mean, after that point, it was like an overnight success for you, because yeah. it just exploded, right? Yeah, Diana kicked in. Right away. You know, back in those days you cut an acetate, you go to Philly, you do American Bandstand. Right. You did Alan Freed and within a week you had a hit. And that happened that quickly for me. My life just changed. That was it.
0: And did you think, okay, now I gotta keep on writing or did you get caught up in the fun of having a hit record?
8: No, I knew I had to keep writing. Yeah. I and mean, they signed me up, gave me a hundred bucks and uh-huh. I had to write as much as they locked me away. I mean, it was 100 bucks a month. Uh, You better write the next album. You know, back in those days, and even for a lot of rock and roll, as the transition occurred, you lived and breathed rock and roll, and I did. Mm -hmm. It was writing every day, making an album, maybe three or four a year. A whole different process back then, and you had to write and stay with it all the time.
0: It was just that it becomes your life, and at that point... Are the songs coming faster or are you bad on them out? How does it, how does the song faster work? Faster as opposed
8: to today or just? Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're coming out faster because that's all that there was. You know, as I said, the whole industry was in its infancy stage. We, we all mm-hmm. lived together. Every act I was traveling with there was 15 of us on a bus. So we would be singing what we were writing. I knew what Buddy Holly was coming out. I knew what the Everly brothers were doing. We'd be playing off each other. It was all about the music back yeah. then. Unlike today. So you'd be banging them out and banging them out and banging them out because you had to. And because you were trying to impress your friends and because that's what it was all about. Because we were all like in one little box. You know, yeah. traveling together, doing certain dates, and it was that close, and that motivated you to keep showing your friends what you could do.
0: And then you're gone out in places in the country that you have never seen before, mm-hmm. but you're only there for a One few, night. Yeah, one night, and on the road again. So after a while, I guess it's, it's like only the people... You know, it's like being in the circus, where the, it seems to be more like everybody with you seems normal, but everybody on the outside is like a different
8: tribe, so to speak, where the Audience, you don't really even get to know them that well as people, right? Well, yeah, that that's true. You you get there was somewhat of a homogenous effect because there were the people that were fans that would mm-hmm. show up to get to know them. Not really, even though when we hit a city, it was an event back then. You got to yeah. remember we were the only traveling troop circus. Good analogy. Yeah. And when we got there, you'd go to their homes, you'd go to their restaurants. You got right. to meet them because it was all about that camaraderie and with your fans, you'd you'd be more inclined as opposed to today to really get into it and get a sense of where you were but by by and large we were isolated from them
0: and yet it was the first kind of youth explosion i guess it was the first time that the young people were in charge of
8: their own destiny in the music business
0: uh you're writing and performing your own stuff
8: yeah you're in charge but you're not you know you're a kid and you got a bunch of adults around you not unlike uh well, the whole American Idol thing, they're, they're yeah. controlled, too. But back then, you had somewhat of a control, but you're still dependent on an infrastructure of business people, record people. Uh, you know, you're working for the guys who ran Vegas and the guys who ran the record company. Right. And so you're you are kind of in that milieu of people. And, uh, you know, you had some autonomy and some didn't. You know, the guys mm-hmm. out of Philly, Frankie Avalon, the ones that I knew, you know, was Marcucci, and they controlled it, and they called the shots, and you were told what to do, and there were boundaries, there were limitations. Uh, uh, sexuality, forget about it. You can get anybody in a hotel room. didn't exist. Yeah. You, know, you can, couldn't get near the women. You couldn't do, you couldn't do. So you're really under the auspices of people that were controlling your career.
0: At what point did it start to feel like you took control? Because... You know, you could do it all yourself. You can write, you can yeah. record, you can reduce.
8: At what point did you feel like, okay, I've got control now? Well, probably earlier than all of my contemporaries because of the fact that I did it all and I had some business acumen. So mm-hmm. I would say around 58, 59. Wow. I had a partner and uh, I really ran the shots with him. And, uh, you know... 59 or 60 I bought my catalog back from the company I was with because I needed a bigger company gave him $250,000 and I bought my stuff back wound up with RCA started a company so I was calling the shots at a young age wanted to get into the clubs you know Sinatra and those guys were my yeah. idols so I wound up in Vegas the young kid, youngest kid ever to work Vegas Copacabana mm-hmm. so I, I really made those decisions because I wanted to make the transition I didn't really believe that I was going to last as a teenage idol it was great but I didn't see a and that so that's why I made my transitions
0: and you kind of had your feet in all these different camps mm-hmm. I mean to play to the kind of the teeny bopper crowd and then to the play to the Vegas crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know too many other people. I guess Bobby Darren did some of that as well. Mm-hmm. But that was just about you two that could pull that off,
8: right? It was only he and I. I yeah. tried it in Vegas and that didn't work the first time Till you know, the 70s. Yeah. Bobby and I would, you know, converse about that. Bobby really was more in that Sinatra vibe and he wanted to do it and we would talk about, you know, each of us and how we did it. So we pursued it. We were the only two that did and were successful. Uh, I had more of an encampment in Vegas than Bobby Bobby came a little later Mm -hmm. I was tied in with Frank and Sammy those guys at the Sands and Played there every year since I was what twenty years old. Yeah. yeah.
0: What was that like to be a kid around
8: those guys? I mean, that's that's just legendary. <laughs> it was like you and I couldn't sit here for two years and do it. Yeah. It was unbelievable. You know. Yeah. I mean, you know, the great thing about my business is you never know what's going to happen. And uh, you know, the the boys ran everything. As I said, the jukeboxes, the clubs. In this kid mm-hmm. comes, I'm with uh, Frank and Sammy who take to me because I'm making money for right. the family. And there I am in a steam room with these guys and a kid trying to be as cool as I can. These guys are walking around nude and hanging out (laughs) and girls are coming and we're eating in there to like two in the morning. And I mean, it was like, give me more. Who do I pay for this? And this was like it was I can't even tell you for a young singer. You'll never see that life again, so I loved it. Uh, the guys that ran the place, they were like godfathers to me, they took care of me, they were gentlemen. Frank taught me a lot. I could hardly wait to get there and sing, because you know, back then we'd sing for two weeks in a row, two shows a night, Yeah. and all the fun and frolic was right there. And you did things and enjoyed life like you couldn't imagine, way ahead of time. Kennedy would fly in on helicopters, and it was, you know, it wasn't a media-driven society, so nobody yeah. knew what was going on. But the stuff that I witnessed was unbelievable, and I look at it today, and I look at people. You know, I'm they, probably the last guy that really knew about all that. That's yeah. why I'm writing my book, and uh, I really cherish those days. I live in the moment, but I look back at that and I say, you guys have no idea what it was like.
0: Well, there was just so much talent too with yeah. that whole crew. Uh, you know, Dean Martin. Yeah. is a guy that you know it always comes up to this Frank Dean Martin fantastic singer mm. then at the same time was one of the best comics oh. I
8: think of all time listen you think he's funny on stage yeah you should have seen him off stage the stuff that went on in that steam room or at dinner, he was, you know, there are guys like that. They are funnier. The right. stuff that he pulled was, I mean, we went one night, uh, Frank had a hard on for Don Rickles, because Don, you know, right. was very open mouthed about the guys. So we were at, we went, said, let's go get him. So <laughs> I followed. We went to the Sahara Hotel, and back then the lounges were a big deal. And he was playing a midnight show at the Sahara. Jilly Rizzo, myself, Frank, there must have been eight of us. Mm -hmm. And we go over, and we're sitting ringside in a little lounge that held 300 people. And we're ringside. Now everybody's looking at the table. You've got Sinatra, Dean Martin, yeah, Sammy, I'm there, unimportant, but I'm there. Mm -hmm. And there's a bunch of us, and we're just sitting. Dean says, wait, Frank, I'm going to do something. (laughs) And he went to the newsstand, and he brought back newspapers. And he passed each of the newspapers, put them under the table, pal. So we put the papers underneath. 12 o'clock, da-da-da-da-da-da, da-da, da-da, da, the big intro. Rickles walks out, sweating before everything starts anyway, because there's Sonata ringside, who's already been blasting all the. So he just starts his first lines. That Dino, says, All right, whip him out. We all pick the newspapers up, open them. We are now reading the papers, exchanging sports scores, while Rickles is trying to perform. I mean,
0: that was Dean's humor. And, and the, uh, the whole entire audience is looking at you guys and not oh, at the stage. Of course. You Can 't come back from that, yeah exactly um, so you 're writing all this stuff up Paul yeah that, that, I think that's, uh, I think it's important that these stories are
8: mm. are saved as well um, when When do you plan on having that book out? Uh, we're planning for September and mm-hmm. I've got a couple of months more. You know, it's, it's been a cathartic process and with everything else that I'm doing, it's not as easy as you think writing a book when you've got 54 mm-hmm. years, you're going through all kinds of material. Uh, it's sensitive. What do I say? What don't I say? Right. Uh, but I've got, uh, 80% of it done. Uh, it always, it emanated right here. Actually, when I did Howard Stern, uh-huh. I go on with Howard and got a lot of calls and, uh, he and I just clicked. And people are calling in, write a book, write a book. Well, um, I think Howard went on to, uh, do a Larry King show, and Larry said, What was your best interview? He said, Paul Anka. And his editor, Steve Cohen at St. Martin's, called and said, Do you want to do a book? I said, Well, let's talk. So I went and had lunch with him here, and, uh, I said, Yeah, you know what? Timing is everything. Let's do it. So I've been working on it for a few years, and uh, I should have it up by September.
0: Isn't that interesting, though, that there's been so many eras that you've been in and out of? I mean, talking about from Sinatra all the way to Stern. Mm. Who would have? Who else to make that connection? Right, but you.
8: Yeah, it's kind of cool to thread uh, through each decade. Yeah. Uh, you know, from Michael Jackson to, to Buble and then to Stern. And it's very interesting.
0: It's you know, insane when, when you really think about it. If, uh, I guess, Forrest Gump could sing and had some hipness to him, right. that would have been your story. <laughs> uh, thanks so much. And this Christmas album is out, the Songs of December. And this yeah. is one that you love because... You do like to set this kind of mood for people.
8: Well, I like to do something different. You know, mm-hmm. And what motivated me, as I said, is, uh, you know, Christmas is not happy for everybody. Yeah. But setting that aside and then the commercialism of it to do something like this, I wanted to do something that was uniquely indigenous to what I felt where we're at sociologically. So as I said, I've taken these songs and it's personally been a labor of love to try and capture that mood Mm -hmm. so that everybody unilaterally can get into it. Didn't want to call it Merry Christmas. Didn't want to call it Happy This. Yeah. And on an airplane, I just came up with songs of December and now the interpretations. So it's not just thrown together to have a Christmas album. I think if people embrace it and we've had great critical acclaim with it. They've gotten... The approach and the content of what I wanted to do and my hats off to the unsung heroes the great rangers. And I learned that from Frank always oh, surround yourself with the best guys So between David Foster and Pat Williams and Chris Walden Johnny Mandel I that's a great team of guys here have taken my vision and put it together
0: And when you talk about it, it's not just about
8: the happy where does the sadness come in this kind of year? Where does that kind of mood you well know? the sadness is that there are people out there that are not necessarily at a time of year when a Lot of feelings do come out and mm-hmm this is you know look a lot of people out of work there's a lot of people that have not joy in their life there's a lot of illness there's a lot of concern there's a lot of hope that isn't there there's a lot of everything so hopefully this cd is kind of a companion to those that, who may not be enjoying it but they can find something in it uh trying to find the reality personally of what you know it is for me christmas mm. or it's more about children uh, as a concerned citizen of the world I'm concerned because I've I still travel all over the world, and I get the vibe as to the tension that's out there. I hope this is an, a, an honest contribution where everyone, no matter what Christmas means to them, gets something out of this.
0: Paul Anka, what a pleasure to have you in. Thank you. And I'm really looking forward to read the book. I'm, I'll be there the first day to pick it up. Okay, man, I'll come back and talk to you about it. And then let's get it made into a movie after that, because these stories are great.
3: Stand by for Ron and Faz on Raw Dog. Raw Dog Comedy Channel 99. And now back back to the best of Ron and Fez Ron
1: and Faz
3: Raw Dog
1: Comedy Channel 99.
0: Mother Christmas. Mother Christmas is now here with her brand new album. How are you, Annie Lennox?
10: I just realized this morning that that might have to be my title for the rest of my life. Yes.
0: (laughs) You are now going to be... well, what was, the, like, like, a a winter goddess? I don't know what the name would be there, but you can come along and sing our winter... Gosh, first. really? Yeah. Well, the, tra- the, the, the great thing about this is these songs are so much more traditional mm-hmm. than the American Christmas carols, oh. which tend to be about presents and Rudolph and Santa Claus and stuff. You went very traditional.
10: Well, I kind of sourced the songs that I sang when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and that's really been a journey for me, because... These songs, I was singing these songs almost 50 years ago. It seems incredible to me. So they're very, very much part of my my backbone, my, my whole sort of mm-hmm. consciousness. And to come back to them as an adult so many years later and bring them back in a way that is my own interpretation, um, with my, my twists on it, has just been such a lovely journey for me. I just, I wanted to do it for years. And I also wanted to work with the African Children's Choir. So I've got the two things. They're, they're not on Angels from Gods yeah. of Glory, but they
0: are on about six of the tracks in the album. Yeah, that was an interesting thing for you to do. And I know that Africa is something you've been involved in for many years. Has it? Uh, when's the first time you went to Africa? Well, um, I, well, the first time I went to Africa is
10: many, many years ago in back in the seventies. But Uh the time, the, the time, the really significant trip Mm -hmm. that I made was to Cape Town in South Africa in 2003. Mm -hmm. And that was to be part of the, the launch concert for Nelson Mandela's HIV AIDS foundation, 4664. And that was the beginning of a whole uh, wake up call to me to get on board with, um, HIV is it, uh, Passes on to women and children. Yeah. So um, it was a huge turning point in my
0: life. And at that point, just being open to that, again, like you were saying with these Christmas songs, uh now there will be, you know a part of you would be stuck with, with you know, you've got to live up to that every year, this time of year. But once you get introduced to something, it's almost like you you can't then push it away. Uh, like, so in 2003, uh, whether you were expecting it or not, a life-changing right. moment takes Yes, place.
10: definitely, definitely. I got to step out of, of a certain kind of bubble, which is mm-hmm. a Western bubble, or my own bubble, or all our bubbles. Mm-hmm. And I went into a place where, even know South Africa, is a wealthy country for many, many people live in excessive wealth. But, the majority of people are living in excessive poverty, right. so you have the two extremes and a massive gap in between. And there you have, ironically, you know, the um, post-apartheid nation yeah. inheriting um, a virus that is just wiping people out. Approximately a thousand people a day are dying from AIDS-related causes to this day. And the government now are to the you know to the credit they ha- they have got a national strategic plan, as they call it, to try to double access to treatment and to try to reduce um, the the spread of the virus by half. But it's
0: very, very challenging process for them. When you What made you then decide to use this children's choir with these songs? I mean, here you are from yes. one part of the world, here yes. they are from the other. Uh, what made you think this is going to work? Yeah. Um, well, when I first met them, it was in 2004,
10: and I was taking part in another 46664 concert, and they were part of the, um, they were part of the backstage crew, and I saw them there and I fell in love with them. Mm-hmm. And I just, I knew, like, one day, I'm going to work with these kids, I love them, and I want to use their voices. And then I thought, well, one day, I want to make a Christmas album with the, with the songs. Not, not a Christmas album, I shouldn't say that. it's not really that it was I want to record traditional Christmas carols. That was really that that was my main modus operandi. And then I thought, wow, if I'm going to use children's voices, I will put those voices on above anybody else because of what they represent. I mean, they are in their own way they are our ambassadors of their country. Many of the children are from Uganda, and many of them are from South Africa and across parts of different parts of Africa. And they are children that have been given an ac- access to a transformative plan, if you like, through music, through being part of the African Children's Choir. They have uh, opportunity to have education to have. You know, good nutrition, to be dressed well, to be in positive, encouraging circumstances. And these are kids that are coming from villages and remote places or from townships who have no access to, very little access to, well, little access out of the trap of poverty. And so you see those kids and as they're growing up, they become... Young adults with a light in their eye, with a focus and with an intention, and they're resourceful. And many of them who've been through the process come back to mentor young children again as choir masters, you know, yeah. and it's, it's just something that I found hugely inspirational. And Mm. sometimes, you know, you hear about stories from developing countries and they're terribly depressing. But so I think when you identify a problem and you find projects that are actually uh, coming with positive responses, I I think it's important to highlight them.
0: And it's also the strangest thing too now to see how all these different things that happen in the world, I don't know whether it's because the world seems smaller, but One problem leads to the next, and one solution leads to the next. And it's just so interesting that you think that maybe getting to some of these young kids at an early age, solutions are coming up in the future, sometimes 10, 15, 20 years from now, Mm. that no one thought Mm. about. Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, As well as keeping... Mm. um, Western armies from going down there 10 or 20 years from now and settling problems. Mm -hmm. You know, money invested could be money saved, even if it's just like that on a financial level.
10: Absolutely. I mean, the fact of the matter is, you know, I've given this a lot of consideration and I think the world is a a crazy place. We're so resourceful. We Mm -hmm. have so many resources, but they're not spread in a fair kind of way. In the Western world, you have access to complete modernity, all of the consumerist items that are out there, if one can afford it. I'm not assuming that everybody can, yeah. but they're there. And you know, we we do have clean running water coming out of our taps, for example. We do have access to education, whether it be perfect or not, it doesn't matter, we have access to it, you know. And so many think access to healthcare, well, they, that's a very important question here in the United States. Um, when you go to some countries, children are you know especially it's really women and and the female child that I'm very much interested in because that's my gender and I have daughters myself Mm -hmm. and that's what I really strongly relate to I think you know we talk about feminism and we sometimes kind of almost like recoil away from the word and yet I think that female empowerment is so so necessary in developing countries where women do not have uh, human rights they do not have uh, sexual uh, reproductive rights they just have so few rights and uh, they don't have access. To the things that just fun- fundamental things, you know, sometimes like very simple things that are, uh, could be put easily into place to facilitate, uh, prevent, preventable disease. Last night, I came off the plane at JFK and I was hugely impressed. There's a whole line down the corridor, down the escalator, talking about malaria, mm-hmm. preventable disease. It's, it's a big issue. It's not simple to put it in place, but actually a life can be saved with, a mosquito net with access to treatment—all
0: of these things, just things that we don't even we don't even know about. It's another yeah. planet. It is, uh, but isn't it interesting that you know when you grew up, um, you wouldn't think about Africa uh, or any of these other nations, but now because of the internet, because people are spreading stuff, that the the planet is smaller than ever, and that I hear just like you you brought up the malaria. Uh, which has been a problem for a long time, but it gets talked about now more than ever before, that I think it is entering people's consciousness.
10: You know, I agree with you. And uh, this is what I have to say about it. Western countries are fixated with celebrity mm-hmm. and media. That's what really drives the media. Yeah. It's hugely powerful. And it enters into our lives through the products that we use, shampoo, the cars that we buy, the clothes that we wear, whatever. If we could take that resource of interest... And place it in the, direct it in the right way. We could see justice in the world. We could see changes in the world, positive changes, life saving changes. So I'm, I don't think that I'm being idealistic when I engage with these issues. Right. You know. You see what I'm saying. I take my intention and I take my focus as one individual, and I put it onto that. And I know that I can't be the solution, but I can be part of the long you know I can be part of the contribution
0: towards the effective response and again you know it does start to take place if introduced to people and you know I will you know the audience could be blamed on it but at the same time it's because when you are not paying attention you're just not paying attention you don't focus on it and maybe the odd thing is that we should do American Idol or Dancing with the Stars, have to take place in one of these African villages. If you want to get your entertainment thing, then you have to look at some of these other problems that are going on. Maybe we should just move the celebrities over into places that need thought.
10: Well, you know, in the the United Kingdom, Mm -hmm. we have had for many years a fantastic program. Called comic, but it's organization, excuse me. We call it Red Nose Day over there, right? Comic and we relief. have Comic Relief. Mm-hmm. And ostensibly, that's what comic, comic Relief just did exactly what you've suggested. They sort of said, look, you know, people need, they need to be interested in these things to make the world a better place. And they're interested in celebrity. So, Let's take the celebrities. Oh, I hate the word, but mm-hmm. let's take them, and let's put them into let's let's have them encounter a situation, whether it be malaria, whether it be water issues, whether, you know, whatever the issue would be. Take them into the village, face to face, meet the people, see what's going on, and then Comic Relief will create a project that can help with that situation. And the the film clips that they make from those situations are played into everybody's living room, and a Red nosed Day. Everybody's watching it. Everybody gets involved with it. Schools, businesses, you name it. Shops, brands, everybody gets involved with comic relief. And I, and I agree with you. I think that is one way to do it. To harness right. the interest of a nation. To, to, to show them, look, we can do something that is really effective and we'll do it like this.
0: Yeah. One thing too, I've noticed about corporations. Uh, because I used to kind of be anti corporate, and after a while, you're just banging up against it. You're not going to beat it, but they will react if they think that's what people want. Absolutely, a corporation will do whatever you want them to do if they can make money out of it. Correct. And there's no the the probably we should get to a point of saying, all right, if this is the system that we live in, this is what would make me buy your product.
10: Well, you see, then that would be a sort of. Corporate capitalism with a social conscious input into action, which is ultimately probably what would what could work. We've looked at all political systems and structures and business systems and structures. And, you know, none of them work, really. They, Mm -hmm. They work to certain people's benefit. Right. But actually, they don't really work because there are billions of people that are just left in the hole of desperate poverty.
0: That's not right. No, that's not Right. The interesting thing though is even if you keep it top of mind, you still end up back into your own own life. You know what I mean? Like I will I'm living here in New York City and I could hear half the people in the world don't have water or access to health care. And and I'm like, Oh, that's amazingly awful. We need to do something. Mm -hmm. But by the end of the day I'm still complaining about not catching a taxi or a subway. It's it's very hard to keep it conscious.
10: Hey. Well, to be honest with you, I'll just, Mm -hmm. I'll just put it to you like this. I understand what you're saying very well. Mm -hmm. And for many, many years, I also had that huge frustration and felt frustrated by my own frustration. Right. (laughs) It kind of creates a sense of ongoing impotence. But even if you were to just say to yourself, that one cup of coffee that I have on a Thursday, I'll take the dollar and a $1.50, whatever it costs you, and I'm going to commit it to an investment in social change. And I'm going to back an organisation that I really trust and I know is going doing great things, whether it be in Haiti now where you have a desperate situation with these poor people that have had to face this terrible earthquake and now they're facing a cholera epidemic. Oh my goodness. Instead of feeling like overwhelmed by that, just say that cup of coffee that I was going to have on the Thursday is going to support Médecins Sans Frontières. And that's my investment. And then you can feel good about yourself and you can think, yeah, actually, I'm not just, it's not just hopeless. I'm helping them do that. And in that way, you turn it from being a paternalistic charitable thing where, oh, uh, oh, I guess I'll take this money and uh, kind of put it there right. to saying, you know what, I want to see that change. I want to be part of it. And, I've, and I'm have and i telling you this because I've spoken to many organisations and the feedback that I get from them is, yes, the Bill Gates of the world who have billions to give away. Fantastic. Don't compare yourself to him. He's doing it in his way. He's a billionaire. Great. You do it in your own way. And it's very relative. The lady, the little old lady, you know, mm-hmm. that gives the regular half 50 cents is so important. That's the consistent backbone of all those incredible NGOs that are out there on the coal face, making the changes.
0: When did this uh, dawn on you? Is this something that you learned over your life or did you have this before you got into music or it was from well, the work? Well,
10: I have always just naturally being a person with um, a heightened consciousness in the mm. sense that our conscience and uh, sensitivity and empathy I guess even when I was a kid and um, and I always was overwhelmed by the injustice in the world you know as a young child I would see uh, footage of the first world War Second World War or I would see footage of famine or, you know just the things that you get to see through documentary film clips I adore documentary I find it so educational mm-hmm. I want to know about the world i don't want to live in ignorance i want to go outside my my own comfort zone and see how other people live and then you can say my god i've got the clean running water coming out my tap I didn't realise what a luxury that was right. I didn't realise how resourceful I am here I've got the vote I've got freedom of speech this is incredible you know so just to say I mean my background is my family were very uh, kind of politically conscious and so I was brought up with this kind of lot this discussion about justice and injustice and I always had that sensibility but it took me a while to be t- into the position I'm in now I'm a middle aged woman I've got, I've got two almost adult daughters and I think that women of my age are an incredibly resourceful power. And, you know, because we've done so much and we sometimes like, oh, hey, what do we do now? I think it's now the time for women like myself, particularly, to support women in other countries or even in
0: your, in your own country. Right. Just do something, you know. Well, the interesting thing, too, is I just think what you're saying that is any of the benefits I have gotten were from luck or other people's work. Born into America, you born into you know, great Circumstance. yeah, it's Circumstances It's just the luck of the draw. But then if you could look back, you look at people who worked a lot of women, younger girls that you say have turned their back on feminism and that's something that happened before. It's because they've already had the opportunity yes. to take advantage of these giant yes. leaps of people who put their shoulder down and worked
10: for it. Exactly. And they have no value of it because they haven't had to make an effort. They haven't seen the effort that entailed to get there. So they have something like a vote, and it doesn't mean much to them. Right. Or they have freedom of speech. They don't know what that means. I mean, I'm, I've been a member of Amnesty International for many, many years. And I've met people that were, had been political prisoners of conscience or people that were just simply taken off the streets of their country, put into prison without any lawyer, without any representation, and just locked up because somebody overheard a conversation that they were having and said, that person is against our regime, and we're locking them up. And sometimes those people will just disappear and you won't know anything about them. Amnesty International works to identify the situation. It has letter-writing campaigns where individuals can collectively send letters to governments that are unjustly holding people in prison. And sometimes those governments respond. They really, really do, because they don't like to be seen as the bad guy. Look at what's been happening in Burma. The militaristic junta has tried to keep Aung San Suu Kyi, has kept her out of the public light and the whole country has been separate separate from the rest of the world for so long. They can't, you know, actually the, the world opinion is watching Burma and has been watching them for many years. If you didn't have the campaigners all these years saying
0: Aung San Suu Kyi, Aung San Suu Kyi, she would just have disappeared like everybody else. So, again, it comes back to that we do have power and then we also yes. have individuals have responsibility yes. to just pay attention, whether we're, we're pushing along governments or major corporations, because they need our backing. All of us. Yeah.
10: Listen, if we didn't buy the magazines, the newspapers, the shampoos, whatever, whatever,
0: whatever, yeah. they'd be all out of business. We make them happen. Right. And then the interesting thing, I brought this up with radio before because I grew up in radio, but if you had a radio station and you just blew a whistle into the microphone and they found out that the numbers were there, then three months from now there would be three radio stations just blown, whatever it takes, they just want your business. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, let's talk a little bit as I, I let you go here to about Universal Child, that's the... The original song on this yes it's I mean I hadn't intended to write a song for the album
10: I, I was really thinking I wanted to go back into my childhood and and just explore the songs that I'd sung all these years ago all these songs are the ones I sang they're not just taken off of a, a list of you right. know you, you know random here we are an arbitrary choice so oh, that that'll go down well you know it it's actually something I've got a personal relationship with and then one day when I was recording in the studio I had had this title running through my head, Universal Child, and it somehow resonated very strongly with me, but the universality of all of us, that we've all been born into this world naked, of a mother, you know, um, and and that some of us, as you just said a minute ago, circumstantial. You happen to be born here or you happen to be born there. And by uh, just like the randomness of your birthplace and your family and your situation, you could be... Born with a silver spoon in your mouth, you know, or you could just be in the the pit of poverty. And so I, I mean, I think that all of us, all of us human beings, the whole of humanity, if we could recognize the preciousness of a life. Just a life, one life. Look at the miners that came out of the, the hole in the ground in Chile. Yeah. And we were all ecstatic. 33 lives were saved. The whole world was celebrating, rightly so. We need to ha- put that value in, back into human life. And um, so Universal Child is about that. It's about the preciousness and the sort of sacredness, if you like, without the religious overtones
0: of the divinity, if you like, of human life. All of us. Uh, thank you so much for coming in, Annie, and congratulations. Mother a- Christmas was here. Mother Christmas was here, <laughs> and you are a force of nature. It really, I, 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 I imagine for the people with you, it's exhausting. Just is it exhausting? People exhausted? with me, they're no. just like, no. oh, they're no. It's the time change that's exhausting.
4: <laughs> it's,
6: the time, it's,
10: the tra-
0: it's the time differences. Uh, it is uh, wonderful to have you here. Congratulations, the new album is uh, christmas cornucopia and we'll go out with universal child thank you so much thank you
3: it's the best of ron and Fez on, on raw dog comedy it's channel 99
9: this show was brought to you by afro and friends